I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left, no reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back. And you, you would think we have reached the end of our One Good Scare uh, retrospective, where every month we were reviewing a new Halloween movie, because you can tell from the title, we're talking about Halloween 2018, the newest one in the franchise. And so, yeah, we, we finally made it, everybody. We're here. We made it. Yes. And you know what? It was me, Austin. Oh, oh son of a bitch. <laughs> We're here. It's 2018, October 20th. The movie's been out for 24 hours, brother. And I got to tell you what you're going to do when Halloween 2018 stabs you. If you get a good enough chance to see the movie, I recommend it before seeing it. Ooh, yeah. Before you crash into a tree, brother. <laughs> when you have a heart attack. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> That's staying in. That's fucking A it is. <laughs> I never, never, never if I ever, never if I ever thought of throwing Billy Joel and uh, Randy Savage heart attack into a set. Heart attack! Oh yeah! I slapped into I slapped into too many slim jims. I stepped into a tree branch, brother. <laughs> Uh, before we really go to hell, right? uh, like I mentioned before, I'm Timothy Rooney, but with me is my co-host when it comes to Halloween is Mr. Mike Wilson. Welcome back. Yo. Oh, man. How are you doing today, sir? I feel like shit. Well, <laughs> The yeah. weather's been so fluctuating here. Yeah, I mean, like, it was two weeks ago, it was 90 degrees. The past week and a half, it's been like freezing. Like in the 30s at night. I yeah. Sprayed- Frost off my windshield yesterday morning. Yep. And now it was 60 today. Yeah, my sinuses are so dry. I've been sneezing up a storm. I took a Zyrtec. It's as dry as your humor. It's as dry as fucking you. Well, oh, oh, wow. You you go there. You 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 had to bring in my gingivality into this, didn't you? Yes. You're, you're just a horrible person. And just a, 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 I'm a horrible person. You're a genetic defect. <laughs> no, I'm a genetic defect. You mutation. have no soul. I'm a mutation. Well, there you go. And we have to register all of you. No! We're going to get an island called, uh, <laughs> called uh, Genosha. <laughs> oh, man. God loves man kills. That's if we're going to go X-Men here. No, if we're being honest, it, it, all the judges would be end up on Plum Island. It, 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 that's where, at least in the Northeast, that's where we probably end up. Yeah. But... Uh, before we get into our review of it, I want to mention to you, right? Yes, this is a brand new movie. It's still out in theaters, so it just came out. Like we, we are recording this. Uh, what time is it? It is eight sixteen. We're recording this twenty four hours after twenty four hours ago. We were sitting in theaters watching it. We saw it at a seven forty showing. Yeah, at the wonderful Regal Stadium Nine in uh, the town of Ronkonkoma. Yes, with all our goofy 
Native American names that we kept on yes. that are unpronounceable even by the, the uh, MTA train station. Well, it's so funny because there was a video going around where it's like people from the Northeast um, making their Southern friends try to pronounce the oh, Native American God. names like 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 a Halpog and and such and like Schenectady and, and, and so on and so forth. I had a GPS that was hilarious at that. Oh boy, Massapequa was Massapequa. Yeah, Pank, it's just yeah, Pank. But oh, like God. that's easy. But like. The reason why we're bringing that up is because we are going to be talking spoilers here. Yes. We're going to be going through the entire movie scene by scene as we can go for, like, from our memory. And so if you've not seen this movie, I say stop, um, go see the movie, and then come back and listen to this. So we- I want to give you a fair warning right here at the ahead of it. If I, had, if I had a sound effects board here right now, I'd have the nuclear meltdown sound that some people <clears throat> use as like a ringtone. We are in full spoiler mode right yes. now, folks. This movie is a day old. So if you haven't seen it yet... I never thought I'd be saying this, but stop listening to us mm-hmm. and go see it. Yes. Then listen to us. Right. With that said, spoilers ahead. Uh, viewer, beware. You're in for a scare. Yeah, I just ripped off R.L. Stein. So let's jump into our review of Halloween uh, 2018. Uh, that's what I think of that. Thanks, um, uh, Rick. Right now. <laughs> Okay, now we have to we have to preface this, folks. We we um we have we've been we, living a lie. We have a confession to make. Um, a couple months ago, what was it? Uh, June, early June July. July. It was early July. We did a Halloween trailer review. Yes, where we reviewed the first trailer. In it, we speculated about the whole things. We talked about what we think might happen. We analyzed it. We have a confession to make, folks. That was all built on bullshit. Yes. July, uh, was it 9th or 10th? July 10th, I believe it was. Um, there was a test screening of Halloween 2018. Yeah, okay. In the wonderful town of Westbury, New York, at the AMC here on Long Island. And our host, Mr. Rooney here, managed to score reservations for it. Yeah, a, a former coworker we of there. mine uh, had been do. he had signed up for a website to, like, be part of a drawing for movie screens that would happen here, happen here on Long Island. And he had gotten the email for to see this. And he he leaned over to me like, hey, you're a fan of Halloween, right? And I'm like, yes. Uh, and I was just like, on the inside, I'm screaming like, why? What, what's up? It's like, I got these tickets to see. Uh, I got a ticket, a, a invite to see the new Halloween as a test screening. Do you want it? I don't want to go. And I'm like, Yes, uh, of course. After you wipe the poop out of your pants. Yeah, and, and like I immediately called you before I said like, yes, give it to me. Just be like, be like to. I thought say, you were pulling my fucking leg. No, man, not like that. That's, that's like, too good that, to be true. Yeah, I was just say like that'd be a really mean prank to pull on. And either one of us would do something like that. Well, I remember you tried signing up and it didn't work at first. Yes, we were. You came over because as you do, he lives like he works like ten minutes away from where I live. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday, Tim drops by. We hang out. You know, do it. We usually watch Halloween. 
Halloween because that's when all else fails, we just throw on Halloween. Yeah, it's either that or we throw on an old wrestling pay per view yeah. or whatnot. Like, or those something. are those are those are things we usually do. But Tim came over. We were a little bummed, and I got the idea. You want to just try again? And I'm like, nonplussed about like, fine, I'll try it again. Like just being really defeatist about it because I'm like, because I I tried and I said no. We like we're we have given out all the tickets we can do this for. So I'm like, shit. I'm like, I'm gonna break Mike's heart when I tell him this. And so we get, I get to your place, and you. Say, I'm a realist, man. I, you you want to know how many times I've had my heart broken for something other than tickets? And I'm the optimist here, so I'm just like, you know what? I, I I'm willing to swing for it and everything. But like, I, I like my hopes were dashed at that moment. But after you suggested to do it again, I begrudgingly agreed to do it. And it worked. Yeah. Through, uh, I believe the website was previewfreemovies.com. I believe so. Um, yeah, it worked. So the very next day, we get there, waiting in line outside. This is actually a pretty big line for something that's supposed to be like on the down low. Yeah, no, because they filled the entire theater of like, I guess, yes. 350 people, something like that. I don't know, but the theater was full. There were so many people coming out asking us our age, you know, writing down multiple times people asked us our age. Yeah, because at least with the test screen process is that they want to have a wide gamut of individuals to see if we can hit the four quadrants of what they would be considered for uh, a mainstream film. Yep, Everyone eighteen to, of that coveted 18 to 21 got to stand on another line. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to sign non-disclosure agreements. And I would like to say we are recording this October 20th, 2018. The film has been out for over 24 hours. Yes. So, which is why this is probably the third or fourth time I'm saying that. We are now, we, we have fulfilled our contractual obligations. Yeah, because we, we could have. We could have been, been sued. Yeah, the, and the, the, the if fine we print, talked about it. The fine print said lawsuit up to $1 million in damages. Yeah, and, and like they asked if you had any social media presence, and I stupidly did put down my Twitter, and then I'm like, I shouldn't have put that down. I should have said I didn't have a Twitter. Because if anything, if they really wanted to be vigilant about it, they could have just monitored my Twitter to see if I made any statements about that. Because apparently that happened before where somebody had made um, spoilers out on the Internet and had the movies had to be changed in the past. So that's why they're so controlling in these kind of situations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, we got in there, sitting in the theater, and Tim noticed someone towards towards the rear of the theater. I, I, I noticed a couple people, too. Yeah, um, it was... Okay, so in the back of the theater, I saw... Because they had a few seats uh, taped off for reserved seating for certain individuals. And I figured, it was, I figured that's where the people running this... Um, the test screening itself would sit. Like, that's where they sit, and everything else is for the audience themselves. But at one point, we're sitting there, um, and I happen to look back and just look over my shoulder. I was just observing the theater being filled up slowly but surely because, like, the time was supposed to start, like, had passed, like, by 10 minutes. So I was just being kind of curious, like, are we still waiting on people? And they literally wanted to fill up every seat if possible. And one of the individuals saying, sitting in the back had a baseball cap on draped down over his eyes. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. I'm like, like if you really want to be inconspicuous, that's how you not he, be. He was baseball cap and trench coat, literally, and kind of just huddled, head down. Yeah, it was weird like that, and I'm like, whatever. Um, and I didn't pay too much attention to it, and then the movie begins. So, well, actually, in addition to that, I saw walking around the whole time, not disguised. Uh, co-produce movie co-producer Ryan Turek. He stood out like a sore thumb. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he he was he was walking around. He had a really like stressed out look on his face too. The well, whole I can imagine trying to organize these kind of things are probably yeah. uh, a bit of a pain in the ass. But we saw it. It was uh, 
a fairly early edit of the film. Yes, which they did preface the fact that not everything is finished, not everything is finalized, so certain sound cues or or music um, choices were not can be completed. Well, the, this, the, this the music itself was a full-on temporary score borrowed from you know, all I I would say all the different Halloweens. You know, I, I noticed a couple different themes in there. Uh, the opening credits were literally just basic black background, orange text. You yeah. know, no fancy schmancy. Like, it, like they threw it together like like ten minutes before they needed to export it. Like that's what I imagined, probably. Forward. And um, but it, it was a phenomenal experience. I think it's awesome. I'm so glad I don't have to hold on to this anymore. As I was talking with my friends, I went to dinner with afterwards the movie last night. I'm, I say you have no idea how good it feels that I could talk about these things three months later. So. Yeah, we, we we confess, folks. We uh we saw this movie three months ago. Yeah, we saw it three months ago. We saw a rough edit, and then we had it, to fill out the qu- questionnaire. Yes, afterwards. afterwards we got to fill out a questionnaire: things that we liked, things we didn't like. Um, people that were given like a name badge sticker got to stay, I think, for a Q and A afterwards. Yeah, because I think that was the younger yeah, demographic those, those at that point. Ones that are just, why isn't there more CG? When, yeah. when does Thanos come and, and stop and, the like, world? The finger snap and everything. <laughs> and finger snap. Well, yeah, it's so... Um, Why is it so quiet all the time in this movie? <laughs> movie's stupid. As we poke Why fun of... Why scares? Yeah, and so, and then... Why doesn't there somebody that comes out of the corner like, and goes your, blah, and the violin goes ee? What was your feelings after, while you filling out the questionnaire? My feelings afterward were very positive, truthfully. I, I, I will say... But you gave, like, a... You would say a B-plus rating on it? At the time, I would wise? say I gave it a B-plus. Um, I've had many more months to stew over it. And, you know, getting to watch it again now that it's premiered, I, I, I would say it's grown on me so much more. Um, we talked in the parking lot about it. I felt there were things that I, – I, I felt like if I were talking to the if, – if I had stayed for the q and I would have said – I would have prefaced what I said to them by saying anything I say about this movie that's not a positive is pretty much nitpicking. The sum of all the parts that were here still came together better than most Halloween sequels ever right. have. Um, now, seeing it, I also I also have another confession to make. We I was hoping we were going to see it again before this because now it, I feel like our plot synopsis that we give for all these movies won't be as good as other movies, right? Because no, it's I, so fresh. It is so fresh, and the fact that we like when we usually do these, we'll. Make bullet points and notes upon the information to what we wanted to do yes. for this. I was hoping we were going to see it again today. Just, just scheduling did not work, and I, I take responsibility for that one. Well, I was hoping we'd do it just so that I could pull this surprise on you. I'm showing you my ticket stub for my nine, my uh, ten fifteen showing this morning. I saw it again this morning. You son of a bitch! <laughs> I was hoping to see it three times in twenty four hours. Jesus! But I have to settle for two. So that's why you have the notepad there. So yeah, you did I, bring it. I brought a notepad in, and I, I I was pleasantly surprised with everything I came up with, especially the fact that I could write so legibly in the dark. I've done. I did that for it when uh, when Nikki and I did a review of it last year. I had to bring my notepad in it, and I was u- u- literally using the light of the screen to illuminate it. I, ha- I have seven pages of notes here, and okay. I hope it does me good. Um, thankfully, this this uh, plot and all the scenes aren't as all over the place and zigzagging as Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 was last month. Right. We definitely got lost a few times. Yes. But as I said with that one, I felt like it didn't it didn't have a negative effect on the pacing. Everything you you knew where the beginning was, you knew where the middle was, you knew where the end was. When I first saw this one, I had the very first showing, the preview screening, I really kind of had a little bit of issues 
figuring out where those things were. I kind of wasn't the highest on the the second act of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, especially how it ended. And as it turns out, after it premiered at Toronto International Film Festival, critics agreed with me. Yeah, but the because... third act I thought was fucking oh to die for. Oh yeah, the literally. <laughs> Thankfully, after seeing it now again twice. I, I feel a lot better about the pacing of the film. And and I could say that the version that is in theaters right now stayed very much the same as what we saw. Yeah, we'll point out the differences that we noticed from the test screening to the theatrical exhibition of it. So far, we only noticed, what, one actually cut scene? Yes. So we saw one extra and scene. And, like, a few, like, there's... None of you did. There's one, there's one, like, death which was changed a little differently, like the angles were changed. Okay. Uh, which I'll, I'll point out when we get there. But I did feel like I noticed a couple of little trimmings. Which makes sense. A little things. I, I, I kind of feel like they left them in because they're so quick. But I help, I, I, they're so quick and I feel like they hold, they, they pace the, the, that particular moment a little bit better. Okay. Uh, and we will get to that as we, as we get as we do everything. As we do. Um, but truthfully, to start at the beginning, since this is brand new and we're not going to start with our usual... Uh, your discovery of this because no yeah I, I, but like one last thing i'll say about the preview screening is that when i was leaving the dude with the hat was off and he had a huge smile on his face and i passed him as he sat in the seat with the, the people next to him and i'm like i recognize you i do not know why and i was like and it was nagging me at the back of my head i was i wanted to to figure out who the hell that was following day i scrolling through instagram when i'm on break of work i realized it was jason blum Along with David Gordon Green, they were in attendance at the back of the there. theater with, what, with us. What's the date of that picture? If that you is go July on, 10th. So if July you, 9th, it was if when you, we saw it. If you go on uh, Blumhouse's Instagram and look for a picture from July 10th of uh, David Gordon Green and Jason Blum, where it says, Jason Blum and David Gordon Green are all smiles in this theater. Right. That was that picture was taken in the theater that we were at. And if you look through the comments, because this is how I've, I've actually been springing this surprise on members of my family. Okay. And people I know. Um, my mother's uh, best friend, who is my godmother, mm. she, she's pretty much, you know, I call her Aunt Stephanie. She's an aunt at this point. Hello. How are you doing? You may listen to this. She was, uh, she lives on Nantucket Island. Unfortunately, she actually has to wait a couple more weeks because they only have one movie theater and it's not a multiplex. Oh. And they're not getting the movie in for a few more weeks and she is fucking pissed. What's, uh, what's in I think Venom's currently there right now. Uh. Either that or A Star is Born. All right. I, I, can, I can deal with that more. But, um... She was she was visiting us back in September, and I was wearing my Fright Rags Samuel Loomis Haddonfield Lager T-shirt, and she noticed Donald like, "Are you wearing a shirt with Donald Pleasance on it?" Like, yeah. I said, "Hey, you excited?" They're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You excited about the new one? There's a new one." I said, step step into my office. So, you know, we went over to my TV, my big ass TV with the surround sound. I showed mm-hmm. her the trailer, and she was. Because she, she got to see all these in theaters when she was, you know, fresh out of high school, mostly. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, all, all, like she she didn't see Halloween in theaters originally, but she's seen, like, a few of the sequels. Friday the 13th got her into horror movies, actually. That's cool. But then she found out Halloween was really, like, the originator yeah. of the slasher movie genre. And she went with my when my mom went away to college, she went with my aunt, who was still in high school at the time. Mm. And they were, like, buddies seeing all these horror movies back in the 80s. That's cool. So she, I'm just watching her reaction to this trailer. She got, you know, hands over the mouth, like, in total awe, thinking this is awesome. I didn't tell her anything about it. When it was over, I said, well, I got a little confession to make. I showed her that picture on Instagram. And... 
showed her the comments saying, oh, yeah, it was through a website called Preview Free Movies. There was a test screening. Oh, yeah, Westbury, New York. And she was like, holy shit. And then I, br- I have archived in my email the uh, – Oh, the confirmation. The confirmation email you sent me for our reservation. Showed it to her. And she's a school teacher on Nantucket Island. So I am officially like a celebrity on Nantucket Island right now with her class. That's awesome. Of students that like love horror movies. I would like to retire at Nantucket Island, in the words of Hans Lander from Inglorious Bastards. Sorry. It's a nice place. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the most biggest benefits, like the... She has chickens in her yard sometimes, just really? wandering around. Huh. The person who's, like, the most charitable person when it comes to the broadcasting program I was a part of at SUNY Oswego, uh, Lou Borelli, uh, lives on Nantucket. And so, and he's, like, always giving, like, money for us, like, for the best equipment and giving us the best opportunities for us to be... Uh, most qualified broadcasters out there, and so there's a lot of respect given to him. But you were saying, I was just saying, like, and I've you know told people about this. I called uh, my best friend Kristen. How you guys doing? They'll be listening. To this. They, they went with us last night. Her, her husband Dan, what's mm-hmm. up? her little sister, who uh, Tristan, who just celebrated her 15th birthday, I believe it was. Yes, and again, we wish her a very happy birthday. Very ha- happy birthday, Tristan, from all of us and our audience and members of you know their family. Mm-hmm. Um. I told her all about it. They were all jealous as hell. I got on the phone talking about the movie, not spoiling anything, though, making sure not to spoil anything. Talking as a, I was a good boy. I did not spoil this fucking movie for anybody. I spoiled it for one person Uh-oh. because she wanted to know everything. Who? Max. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because it was one night we were hanging out, and I'm like, you're not, and like, because it was a, I think it was a radio uh, trailer for Halloween, and she's like, are you excited for that? I'm like, am I excited for that? And you, like, and you did the exact same thing I did. Mm-hmm. Nice. But, like, this, like, a huge, like, like Grinch level. She didn't want to get back together with you at that moment? No. Oh. That's her fault. Anyway. Hey. Yeah, I'm, kidding, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hi, Vicky. Nah, she won't listen to it, but I uh, hope I will, everything is doing well. Anyway, so, yeah, that was, like, the only person I spoiled it for. Well, that. Well, what do you mean spoiled? Like, you spoiled movie details? Or? Yeah, like, she wanted, like, because she doesn't care. She wanted to know about it. She would, like, and she was, like... I want to know. I'm like, you really want to? I'll tell you everything. She's like, yes, please. I'm like, all right. So I kind of like did like a like a five minute version of what this podcast is uh, for her, and she's like, especially how triumphant the ending is. Oh and my that, god, that's what she really keyed on. And I knew she would like that. Well, I know that this movie had went into reshoots. It was test screen. People didn't like the ending, so they based re-shot on the it. April uh, tip. test screening. Yeah. Um, I am pleased to say that I love this ending that came out theatrically. And I'm very Do we happy. have word on what the original ending was? I don't know. All I know is rumors. Okay. Rumors. Probably so. Uh, rumors. And, and the thing is, these rumors, they aren't that far. Because I thought that article that came out of it was bullshit. That I, the ending test screen poorly? Yeah. I, see, I don't know now. Because uh, I remember. Maybe like, info will come out Because soon. I ended up watching a video last night about somebody reporting that. And all the comments were like, oh, your, ba- your entire basis of this article has been proved like null and void. So I'm just like, I want to know if it was just. It was. Boulder Dash or not. So that's why I was curious. But I do realize, there, at least in the trailer, there's one point where Michael is facing up against Laurie on the front the yeah, front lawn. There's a lot of that footage from that in the TV spots that are airing on television right now. So I wonder if that was from the original climax I or think not. it is because we did not see it. Yeah. And that's another thing to point out, that their original cut of this was like two hours and 15 minutes long. Which is a bit extreme. That's a bit extreme. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love two hours and 15 minutes of Halloween, especially if it's this kind of Halloween. Yeah. But they had to trim a lot down. So there is a lot of red herring footage that is in commercials, trailers, 
and truthfully, a lot of the stuff that was in the movie, instead they actually used different takes or camera angles. Which they, which happens all the time because trailer houses will get footage a lot earlier than some of the editors. So, like, most famous example is, like, Indiana Jones, The Living Kingdom, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Part time. Part time. Like, Part time. Yeah. It's just, Part time. Yeah, it's just a difference between, like, the delivery of the line from Harrison Ford at that moment. And, and so... Oh, yeah, Excuse thanks. me, folks. My sinuses are, are just screwed from this weather. So exactly. I'll be blowing my nose a lot. Strategically. And, and so... And then you think of, like, the early audio from the Batman the Batman 89 trailer. Like, the one was, like, just, like, the Nat sound from it. Like, oh, yeah. It was none the like re- camera sound. Yeah. And so, like, how raw that is compared to how everything is mixed properly and such. So... Yes, and so that that that's why I let me believe I want to know what the hell it's and I I hope when this thing does come out on home video that we can talk about the special features if there is deleted scenes oh, and alternate ending on there. This, why wouldn't there be a slew of deleted scenes, man? Two hours and fifteen fucking minutes, man. I mean, it would definitely like because that was like one of the biggest things about blue uh, DVDs and Blu-rays was like you either get like the director's cut or the unrated cut or there's so many extra stuff that you did not see in theaters like that would be the multiple selling. discs yeah exactly to get the, yourself to buy it and if that's the advertisement that Blumhouse takes for this movie and uh, will be there day one I'm going to be there day one regardless if uh, the 4k if there is a 4k blu-ray and it comes with a standard blu-ray copy I will buy that just future proofing myself right and speaking of future proofing I gotta thank you could find it. Yeah. There it is. My friend Tom had bought me a copy of the original Halloween in 4K. Yep. That came out at the end of the last month. Yes. And it was for my birthday. And I haven't spoken to him in months. So he, I guess he just like saw that my birthday was upcoming. And he sent it to me. And, he's, and I texted him like, did you send me this? And he's like, yeah. Just like, when you want to finally upgrade to 4K, you have this ready. And I'm like, dude, that is far too sweet for that, yep. man. Especially somebody we have not hung out in a while, so I, I really have to... I want to say thank you, and I, gotta, I have to make it up to you. Uh, apparently, according to Blu-ray.com, the standard Blu-ray that's on there mm. is actually the 2007 release, not the 35th anniversary one. Really? Yeah. Maybe because the 4K one is so much based off the 35th anniversary? I guess. I mean, just just have a jarring difference between the two. Because the thing is, it's like, all right, they just remastered it five years ago for the 35th anniversary. What else are they going to remaster? And yeah. I believe it was mastered in 4K five years ago. Right. And I'm just kind of looking. I'm waiting for the day that we finally get 8K, ver- 8K version of Lawrence of Arabia so I can protect it on the side of a mountain. That's the only way I can enjoy that movie. But <laughs> um, moving on. Well, this particular Halloween... As much back to basics as it is, it did not always start this way. No. The past nine years have been very tumultuous. This is the longest we've gone without anything Halloween. You know, the Rob Zombie's Halloween yeah, 2. Yeah, it's one year longer than ha- Halloween 2 to Halloween 4. No, 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 no. Halloween 3 and Halloween 4. Never mind. I was going through Mike Yeah, Myers, don't listen like, to that guy. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck you too. But the thing with, you know, Rob Zombie's Halloween too. Rob Zombie's both movies, you know. A lot of people, opinions divided, take them or leave them. To this day. To this day. I, I feel like 2 is getting a better reputation nowadays. It's one of those things. I feel like Halloween 4 is getting a bad reputation nowadays. Which is, I think is, like, a bit extreme. I don't Even know. The, the fact that Universal Horror Nights has a, a maze dedicated to Halloween 4 right now. Yeah. So at least... Maybe it's just the vocal minority out there that's making him into bad names. I get the feeling it's just not holding up as well as the years go by, you know? Mm. Maybe it's just that. The I mean, idea the, that, like, hmm, I don't like, the idea of people saying, I don't like this as much as I used to. 
It doesn't work for me anymore. I mean, like, I, I, as much as I enjoy the movie, like, we've gone record saying it is a retread of the first movie. Yes. And you say it's a positive or a negative. That, that it's, all, it's all up to you and your personal preference for that movie. But I really enjoy it. I enjoy the atmosphere of that movie. So the, the haters, I say, I say that to you. And it's he did a visual gesture for an audio podcast. It's okay. Yeah, I'm gonna leave that to their mind of what I actually did, so that they can feel insulted us any way they want. He stuck his butt on the microphone. Yeah, but yes, we last left off Rob Zombie's Halloween Two. We have found a, a, a happy, I'd say, a happy middle ground with it. Happier than John Ottman's score for H two O. Yes, happier than John Ottman's overproduced score for H two O. Yes, it, like I still have major issues that movie, but I will. I can. I enjoyed it a little bit more than when I first saw it. I, yes, I, I'll, I, 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 I. Hey, an opinion changed on a movie, and I admitted it on record on the internet. So do you know what? And we disagreed about it on the internet as well. And like, we're still friends. And the fucking you know sky hasn't fallen, the seas boiled, and no, that's happening from the actual environment. Yes, but that's beside but, the point. Yes, Rob Zombie's Halloween too. His whole his two Halloween movies painted this back to back story of the effect of you know a fucked up childhood, bullying, and mental illness combined into one that then manifest themselves in future in in uh, through through genetics yes. and how it can affect everybody and all things go to shit. It was a bizarre version of Captain Planet with my powers combined, you create a, a symbol of evil. But the big question is, what does that have to do with John Carpenter's original tale of the ultimate urban legend gone wrong and the embodiment of evil coming to life? Spoiler? Not much. Not much. So, we, we, we and truthfully, the entire series as a whole as John Carpenter himself and has, as pretty much general consensus has become, really straight away over the years from that original concept. Yes, and I feel like I, and the fact that there was a planned Halloween 3, going to be called Halloween 3D, with Patrick Lucier, who edited all the screen movies and did like Dracula 2000, My Bloody Valentine 3D, and Drive Angry. Yes, he and Todd Farmer were supposed to write. Yeah. Um. They dropped out due to their involvement with the Hellraiser reboot, which that didn't even happen. No. And unfortunately, by by October 2012, no progress had really been made, so it was dropped from the release. I mean, it's 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 curious that <clears throat> Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and the Halloween franchise, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre had their remakes and sequels if they ever got them or prequels. All four of them found themselves being pretty much in a phantom zone for oh, for the past, like, ten years. Halloween and Texas Chainsaw are the only ones that pulled themselves out of it, but Texas didn't pull that hard. No, I mean, you had one uh, remake, which some people really enjoy. I think that it has its, mer its merits. I, I enjoy parts of it. Um, I still prefer the original, but that's just me. Um, the Friday the 13th remake, I don't mind, because, I mean... I don't know. This may piss off Friday the 13th fans, but like a lot of the movies are same. Like there are certain there are certain variables that make each one unique in certain ways. But it's it's lather, rinse, repeat. It's the White Castle slasher films. Mm -hmm. Not saying it's a bad thing. Sometimes you really want just White Castle and just feel. Well, that's why it's a good remake because it's just another Friday the 13th movie. Just a lot more hardcore. I said it before. I can't fucking tell the first seven movies apart. 
I can, but I think I've watched them more than I you. can if I sit and no, I can if I sit and watch them there. But if a scene, random scene of teens, I want to do that to you now. I want to. I want to yeah. cut together a montage to see, like, all right, if which, a random scene of teens from the movie interacting airs, I, it, it'll take me a while to pick out which one it actually is. Okay, because it's just so fucking cookie cutter, paint by numbers. And what about a Nightmare on Elm Street the remake? What was your feelings on that? I truthfully don't remember anything from it. I mean, it, it, it changed the fact that he was a child killer to child molester, which was Wes Green's original idea for the movie, but that was changed because of a scandal that happened on in elementary schools around the same time. And this is like oh, coinciding with the Satan pa- um, uh, was it Satan panic or I forget sure. what that, uh, like that was that. going on. And so they changed it up, and that's where they went back to the original idea for the remake. That didn't come, that came and went, and so. It seemed like there was going to be no hope for the future for Halloween, especially for the wine season. Didn't want to do anything with it. Well, I mean, see, here's the thing, though. There was the one thing you could say is it's not like they did nothing for nine years. This was like what we got here today is like the third attempt at trying to, you know, get a freaking Halloween movie made. The next one that came the furthest in February 15, uh, Patrick Milton and Marcus Dunstein reportedly were going to be writing it. And that was the ill-fated Halloween Returns, where they claim it's not a reboot, it's not a remake, it's a recalibration. I recal- uh, I say I say to you, tomato fucking tomato. You, you recalibrate tires. You don't yes. recalibrate a movie franchise. You recalibrate televisions. <laughs> it's a fucking reboot. It's a fucking re- And the fact that the plot uh, synopsis was going to be that it would have uh, retconned Halloween's two through everything else out of existence. Right. It was going to pick up, uh, the, you know, the night of Halloween. Michael was apprehended. And what it was going to be was he was going to be in prison for a while. Yeah. And set to be ex- set to be executed on death row. And the child of a cop whose wife was killed, apparently in the original, in this, in this new continuity. Okay. Uh, they broke in to witness the execution, and that's where everything go- went wrong, and he came out. And he broke out, you know, hmm. came out. Yes, Michael came out. Yes, it was it was a very woke movie like that. It was very like it was very pushing new bounds and everything. But... Now I had a chance because this script actually did make its way online, and when it was canceled, uh, bloody disgusting. And IGN, even though I cannot find it on IGN's website anymore, did reviews of the script. Yeah, they probably scrubbed it once it was like because wasn't not... the script the script officially said that this wasn't real or not? Or no, what what the script was was that this. According to the Halloween Return script, and we will go in more into detail this next month yeah. for the Halloween Extras episode, it would have picked up – the first shot of it would have been a first-person perspective from Michael's view of him sitting up after being shot out the window of the Doyle house mm-hmm. and him going on. And for whatever fucking reason, this new teenage girl character would be running down the street screaming, help, all my friends are dead, like one of Lori's friends that we just never saw, like – was there another friend that was supposed to come babysit and hang out mm-hmm. that we never was told about? And Michael follows this girl to, and kills her mother. Something like that. Kills her, kills the mother. I have to read it again. But this was the daughter of Deputy Gary Hunt from Halloween 2. Okay. So he gets there. Deputy Hunt, you know, stops Michael. The police arrive. And so does Michael's 
new psychiatrist, Dr. Paul Rogers, not of the band uh, Bad Company or Queen. But this was, the, I believe, that Dr. Rogers alluded to in Halloween 2 when Marion picks up Dr. Loomis and says, Dr. Rogers wants you to come back or whatever. I don't understand this because why are you having characters from Halloween 2 if Halloween 2 no longer exists? And that was actually a very ambiguous detail. Will this follow Halloween 2? And the script clearly says one. And I, I had to read this opening a few times. I had to read this a few times just, just to, like, see, did I miss something? Did I skim past it? But no. I mean, I, I can imagine Dr. Rogers going up to Michael saying, all right, now, we're not going to do this. And we're, we're not going to set you free. He told Michael he's bad company until the day he dies. <laughs> um, no, but he was apprehended. You're not going to be dealing with any fat bottom girls anymore. He was apprehended and spent the ne- you know, tried and spent the next 10 years on death row. So it would be in 1988. So it would be 1988, but it's, it would be like Texas Chainsaw 3D where everyone has cell phones and modern technology but it's really 1988 oh just, just like how it's supposed to be Hall- rob zombie's halloween's supposed to be in the 90s and all of a sudden like all of a sudden in, it's 2009 yeah exactly so uh, all of a sudden in, the, in a deleted scene when, when um your, your uh, allegedly teenage character friend of laurie strode is arguing about old stuff with an old man and he asks her what year you're born and she says 1990s like okay, so you're seven years old. Yeah, Miss, this teenage girl. Thank God that was cut out. Anyway, so it's yeah, this this the, yeah, so this idea was scrapped, thankfully. And well, I mean, it wasn't. It was scrapped because you know not enough progress was made on it. It was delayed, and the rights to Halloween were lost by Dimension Film. Now this is where it gets really fucking confusing to me. Isn't Dimension Films owned by Miramax? Yes, it's a subsidiary of it. So how did Miramax retain the rights yet? Dimension lost them because probably uh, the, the contracts probably last with Dimension, but Dimension hasn't put out any new films, and so it's probably just the parent company re-upping on it. <sighs> if I had to guess, which okay, I'm gonna, ju- I'm gonna jump ahead to. Well, I know I know the Weinstein company allegedly ran out of money or something. I know they ran out now because uh, Harvey's uh, behind bars. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, like it, I went to head through an event that happened last time where we're sitting in theater watching this uh, unfold as we go through like 12 trailers before this movie that you got more and more indignant as every trailer came oh out. Oh my god, I wanted to f- I just wanted this. It, it's like waiting at the fucking dentist office. You just want to get this shit over with. Right. And so, and then the movie starts in the opening, like, titles for all the companies that are involved with this movie, like, and Miramax comes up, and the theater's quiet at this point, and just Miramax fades on, and I just pull, I do a sideshow Bob, just like, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't even be that loud, but it, it did crack you up there, accidentally. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, ugh, because it's just Harvey's stained reputation. His stained reputation is Halloween Resurrection. But if you Zing. people can figure out the fucking right, the, the, the uh, rights quagmire to this, be my guest. I don't understand this shit whatsoever. But basically, Halloween Returns, which, you know, made its way into pre-production, ultimately was canceled in December of 2015. Uh, flash forward six months, uh, Blumhouse, who has been on a fucking tear when it comes to making horror movies. Yes. With the, Jason Blum. Yeah, because we had the Paranormal Activity series, Insidious, Sinister, and many other movies. Is Annabelle a Blumhouse? Uh, no. That, okay. That's uh, part of Warner Brothers, because that's part of The Conjuring. Okay. However, James Wan directed the first two Insidious movies and the first two Conjuring movies. Yes, but uh, Blumhouse and Miramax announced that they're going to co-finance a new film. Jason Blum is a huge Halloween fan. Jason Blum is the 
fucking man when it comes to horror right now. He's yeah. Really g- helping horror a lot. Uh, Universal would be distributing it. Universal's first involvement since, uh, what, Halloween 3? Yeah, that's Even my last time. Trank is fucking owned by Universal? I don't know these goddamn companies. I don't know how all these companies, you know, subvert the fucking Sherman Antitrust Act. So you, you people figure this shit out. I don't know. Oh, there's probably rooms the size of this with legal documents to provide loopholes for these systems. And, and I'd have an easier time fucking learning how to read fucking Swahili than I would those contracts. <laughs> so, truthfully, I don't fucking know for the life of me. Yeah. So, regardless, Miramax, Universal, and Blumhouse are all putting money into this film. Yep. They're all on this boat together. Um, David Gordon Green, director David Gordon Green, and da- writer Danny McBride, they were... Hired as the guys to come in and write this. Which was kind of a surprise for people. Like, people were saying Dan McBride, like the comedic actor for all like the raunchy comedies and everything. Yes. And D- David Gordon Green, who directed like Pineapple Express and Your Highness, but also did the Boston Bomber recovery movie Stronger with Jake Gyllenhaal. And so it was kind of an odd pick at first. Uh, and you know what? There's been picks just as odd. Look at Michael Keaton being hired to play Batman. Hi. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> and, are you sure? Hey, this time. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and so I, I I remember there was a little bit of scuttle, but like, oh, no, they got to turn this into a comedy because Danny McBride can't do anything but comedy in his entire career. Well, fortunately, the scuttlebutt was subverted when Jason Blum somehow managed to talk John Carpenter into an executive producer role. Not only that, but also to provide the score for the film. Well, that would that eventually would be announced later. Yeah. He coerced him into doing it. Carpenter was really attracted to... Uh, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green's take on the film. Take on the film because of how it wash. They decided to wash away all the sequels. Yeah, everything. Even Halloween two on, which is the first time that's really been done. And, and even though we just talked about Halloween Returns doing that, it was left so ambiguous what Halloween Returns was going to do that you kind of didn't really. It, it, I didn't really know until I read the actual script myself. Right. So going off this information, that's what intrigued me. Um. Originally, when I first heard when this was announced, when I when I first heard some real concrete information about this new movie happening, was at the end of last year when Jamie Lee Curtis was announced to be returning to the role. Right. Um, and the pitch for the the, the plot synopsis was decades, and I made a joke of this in our Halloween H two O review. Mm. Decades after her, her initial attack from Michael Myers, she has to face down the boogeyman one last time. I looked at it. I was re- I was almost broken hearted. I'm like, didn't we do this already? Yeah. Like, like are we just retreading H2O again? Are we just again? retreading the same shit with an, you know, a senior citizen actress who's looking who may be looking to get back in the limelight? I don't I don't know. I'm not going to I'm not going to shit on Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm just saying my initial reaction was not a happy one. I think you got mad at me and we said Yes, this. we got as like one of the few moments in our friendship that I ever got kind of curt with you. Tense. Tense, yeah, for sure. That, like, yeah, I was like, no, I, I was very vehemently defending. You were very cold. You were like, you don't have to go see it. Yes, like, I, I am like, well, you don't have to go see it. Like, and I didn't mean for it to come out like that. I didn't mean for it to be that mean, but it just happened to be because I was like, we're getting another Halloween movie, and I was looking forward to it. Uh, you know what? I can't just look forward to another Halloween movie anymore after Resurrection. That's fair. I, I, I truly can't because I, I look f- – honest to God, it, of the four Halloween movies now that I have seen theatrically, this is the only one that actually lived up to any of the hype. Yes, I can see that. 
I, I didn't have a great deal of hype going into Halloween Resurrection, but I didn't think it was going to be that fucking bad. Yeah. I would I, I, I read our, listen to our Resurrection review where I'm sitting there thinking to myself, when is something going to happen that actually matters in this movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween, as I said, listen to that episode. The fucking teaser trailer hooked me mm-hmm. instantaneously. And then when the movie itself was very different from what that teaser showed uh, you know it it hurt and halloween 2 i didn't have a great deal of hype for i thought it was cool i knew i was gonna see it i saw it and i'm like oh, you know it, it intrigued me enough this is the first one where the fucking hype lived up to it for me so i, I was definitely wrong but you can understand where i was coming from right yes i do and the idea of it that it is erasing everything, including Halloween 2, so there's no longer a brother and sister connection between Laurie and Michael, which I think is the best idea because we've seen franchises uh, uh, hindered by the idea that, oh, it's all about family, keeping it together, and especially in a galaxy far, far away. But that's my opinion, and that's why I enjoyed The Last Jedi because not everything has to be a Skywalker. His Moving anger on. subverted your expectations. There we go. But no, that point when it was I announced, the last shot, by the way, when it was announced that this movie would be following Halloween only, and that all that stuff was going to be dropped, that's that was the first thing that got me on board. Like, yeah, right, it's, it's kind is... of like how you think of all the Godzilla movies in the early two thousands were just sequels to the first one, even though they did several in a row. They only they never referenced the previous one. It was only a sequel to Gojira. Yeah, that was the first thing. The second thing was when they got Nick Castle on board. To return as Michael Myers. Mm. I thought, holy fucking shit. Like, yeah, the guy's 70 years old, but he could still have that. He, he could still bring that presence because not everything has to be, you know, violence and attacking, whatever. But they did also announce that our other Michael Myers, we would be getting two, two credited actors as Michael Myers, Nick Castle and actor and stuntman James Jude Courtney. Yes. Um, originally, I believed it was going to be, you know, Nick doing the non-physical stuff mm. and James doing stunts, you know, stuff like that. Right. Uh, kind of like how in Force Awakens we still have Peter Mayhew do some stuff as Chewbacca, yes. but it was mostly his stunt double doing a lot of the physical activity. Yes. Um, those are the two things that really got me heavily on board with this. Now, the elimination of the sister storyline, if we could go back to what I was starting before about how, how did – how really did Rob Zombie's Halloweens, or any of the sequels for that matter, really capture what John Carpenter was going for in his first one? As we all know now, John Carpenter, he just wanted to tell a story, beginning to end, be done with it, move on with his life. He didn't yes. intend for it to be sequels, franchises, whatever. But I kind of do feel like that information was really lost over the years for a time, and only in like the past 20 years, through interviews and stuff, has really those points been brought up and said. Because obviously, you know, when John Carpenter is making Halloween 2, he's not going to just shit on this movie and say, well, I kind of didn't want to make this, and there's going to be a twist at the end that I really didn't intend for. So No, he yeah. wants to have it like a proper hype for it. So yeah, you, know. you want a movie to be successful even if you're not a fan of it. Mm. If, you're still ha- if you're still financially invested in it, you want it to be successful for your own sake. Mm. And I kind of feel like the fact that he was never uh, – I got some homework for you folks. See, let's find out. When John Carpenter really started being vocal about his displeasure with Halloween 2 and the, the whole sibling storyline. Because as John Carpenter has said over the years, the sequels, he feel, really fail to capture everything from the original. But I kind of feel he's never really spelled that out. I wonder if 
over the past 40 years if he said, the sequels don't get it because I never intended for that brother-sister storyline. No. Instead of just saying, well, they never really got what I was going for. He was a force. He was a this. He, the only reason the brother-sister angle has been was made because Empire Strikes Back was huge. And, and beer. Beer. Six-pack of Budweiser <laughs> a night writing that script. But for all the sequels, and that was the, the tone of the 80s when it came to horror movies, was sequels. Endless sequels. I feel because Halloween 2 was written by John Carpenter and the fact that he did not, at least to the best of my knowledge, folks, I'm not going to speculate or say any, or put words in his mouth, but to the best of my knowledge, he never spelled out that the, the sibling storyline was what was wrong with Halloween 2 and why the sequels have all been sort of built on a crappy foundation. Mm-hmm. I believe that's kind of why they continue the way they did. Because the film, he's the creator and writer of this. Anyone making a sequel is obviously going to respect what he's done. Of course. When making sequels. So the people writing sequels, when they hear John Carpenter say, oh, they don't get it, it's like they're pro- they could be thinking to themselves, well, I'm, I'm just going with what – Yeah, like show. what did I do wrong? What Explain do wrong? to me like, I, and maybe next time somebody won't make the same mistakes. It's a point that, like I said, to the best of my knowledge – and I feel that this is also with the rise of like things like commentary tracks on DVDs and special features and interviews and stuff made for all this and the rise of the internet and you know movie websites and whatever – I kind of feel like John never really expressed that in full detail explicitly for such a long time. That's why things built up the way they did. That's why we got the sequels that we got that followed the story that we got and built on the story that we got. Right. Because John never really said. It's like, no, no, no. If you're going to do a Halloween sequel, don't do the brother-sister storyline. I didn't intend for that. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I made allusion to it before, but, like, the fact that, like I said, Darth Vader being Luke Skywalker's father um, really hampered the series going forward that it became so much about the Skywalker lineage and how it made the universe feel so small and everything was kind of built on that conceit. And the reason why I enjoyed The Last Jedi so much is like, no, it don't always have to be like that. We can tell its own stories. And so that's why Knights of the Old Republic is my favorite Star Wars game. Yeah, there's because there's nothing, nothing to do with, with it. Yeah. Nothing to do with that. And. How they were able to like, all right, no, let's let's retcon that. That's not like because that's not established in the first movie. You can say like, no, it was just a random act of violence that this uh, occurred, and that Michael Myers, as a force of nature, was acting as a serial killer at that time, just wanted to taunt and kill some people. He's an ambiguous force of nature. Is he this crazy person, or is is he the boogeyman? Is you know, which it leads more to he's. Very much the boogeyman yeah. this time around it, when it comes to tests of strength. It's the amalgamation of so many ideas that just came together and were built on such talent. It, it was one of those lightning strikes and you capture it in a bottle moments that, can, that can't be replicated. Oh, no, because you see so many, slash, align. so many slash movies ripping it off. Like, you don't have Carpenter's direction. You don't have Dean Cundey. Uh, I'm talking in cinema history. Yeah. It is an example of, of all the planets aligned and we captured fucking lightning in a bottle. Oh, yeah. Like, I think the best movies are like that because so many different reasons they didn't – like movies didn't work until like just like the final touch being added. You think of Jaws. Jaws did not work until John Williams' score. I mean – Well, have... Jaws did not work until fucking they realized this mechanical shark we built doesn't work. So you know what? Let's, Let's shoot it around the shark. Exactly. And – 
which apparently Richard Dreyfus says he wants a CGI version of the shark to be added into later re- in editions. I think Richard Dreyfus needs to. Uh, I think I think it's time for Grandpa to go back to the home. I think so too. <laughs> that was my sentiment. Exactly. I know the guns were replaced by walkie-talkies. Yeah, um, and I really intended to have giant dewback lizards swimming behind him <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> Like it's like a giant whale coming out of the background. An imperial walker is. Uh, Quint was really supposed to have an imperial walker in a boat, <laughs> chasing the shark. And so they decide, like, all right, with this new with this new Halloween, let's do away with that. Let's make it be the personification of evil again. Well, also, I I have noticed in talking to people, we've had this series built on the brother sister storyline for thirty seven years now. It is so, and because John Carpenter made you know, wrote Halloween 2, and it picked up as a continuation, as a true companion piece to the first one, even if it's a step down. I I am finding that so many people did not realize that that was not his intention. Yeah. Case in point, when I was talking with my, my mom's best friend, my godmother, and it's Steffi, when she was over last time, mm-hmm. she was shocked to find out that that was never John Carpenter's intention. My cousin Jessica, who got me into Halloween, she was, she was shocked when she found out. She found out, you know, she has found out previously. But so many of them like the brother-sister storyline. And I explained to them, it's like, I, I don't dislike it. I don't. Because if you're going to, not that you have to, but if you're going to make a series out of this, you're going to continue it, it has to reach a point where you can't just have, where every movie can't just be, oh, he's the embodiment the boogie of evil, the boogeyman, and he fixates on someone and stalks them and kills all their friends until he gets to them, rinse, repeat, every movie. Yeah. you got to go places with it, you know? you got to have something. That's why I don't mind when people come up with, like Daniel Farron's comes up with ideas like The Curse of Thorn, because it's very it's very Halloween-centric. It has much to do with the legends of Halloween. Because also, as we've said in our first one, the fucking holiday Halloween is incidental in this movie. Yeah. It could have taken place on fucking Easter. He wears a rabbit mask, and you still could have had the same plot. Right. That's why I think Halloween 3 is probably the most Halloween-ish of, yes. the, of, of the movies. And, and to make an argument, even Curse of Michael Myers, because of the idea of the Celtic cult appeasing their gods, much like the Festival of Samhain. The funny thing is that both of those are two of the most maligned movies in the entire franchise. I know, and and I find it even more interesting how the ones that people love have literally have nothing to do with the holiday of Halloween. Yeah. Just the fact that that's the date it falls on. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm not against the whole sister storyline, but I totally agree with the point. And they even make many fucking meta-references throughout this movie of the idea of... Say you're talking to a friend of yours, and your friend says, oh, my God, I was attacked by this, this killer. I, I, he was f- stalking me all day. He just became fixated on me and, you know, killed all my friends, and he attacked me. I, I don't know why. How could he? And you're sitting there thinking, holy shit, this could have been me. Like, what if I was walking down the street? That person fixated on me like that and attacked me? Now imagine your same person says the same thing. and said, yeah, but I found out later it was really one of my long-lost siblings. You'll be thinking, oh, shit, thank God I don't have no crazy long list. All I got to do is stay away from this motherfucker, and I'm a, whew, I'm okay. Yeah. It makes it, I, I would say. Makes it the idea that it could happen to you. Right. Because there's no rhyme or reason to no. it. No. Because I think that was so, uh, a huge proponent of, like, so many serial killers that came about in the 1970s, where you've, you've had Bundy, you had the Son of Sam, and you had a, a myriad of others where it was, like, yeah, there was killers had a type and everything, but like it was random, and you don't know who it could be. Same thing with Michael Myers. I mean, the fact that he's just a random person and just selected these people to be his victims, terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of soap opera that it's a long lost sibling to do this. 
It is, and I mean, like I said, you had to go so because if you if you you take the uh, idea that I just presented of like the friend telling you this and that do it eleven times, it's gonna get fucking old fast. You have to tread to well. I mean, and the point is, like I said, you don't have to do this eleven times. John Carpenter didn't intend to do it eleven times. That's no. why it works great once. But if it's gonna happen more times, it's almost like you, it's almost like you either box yourself into that corner. Of, of repeating the same shit, or you have to take it in different directions. I don't blame anyone for taking it in different directions. There is a part of me, though, that is kind of sad we got just another sequel reboot, because now this is, what, the fourth or fifth timeline? Because yeah, we have, you have we... Halloween 1 and 2, and then from there, where things splinter, you have 4, 5, and 6, the Thorn trilogy, yeah. H2O Resurrection, uh, Zombies 2 movies. And do we Season count... of the Witch. Yeah, do we count... so that's four fucking continuities already. Now this is a fifth. As I said to you... Put the Terminator franchise next to it. Let's see what, what's more complicated. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, oh, where, sure. where, where uh, it could be a sequel, but the cold opening of every Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie is like someone playing a goddamn prank on you, <laughs> and you wonder whether or not he's reading from the right script. Right. <laughs> That's nice. why I think of that. <laughs> but I think we discussed this last year, when we, were, when, we finally, when we finally cooled down and talked to each other about it. Yes. I would have... Uh, don't get me wrong, this is not a slight on this movie. I fucking love this movie. I- I'll even skip to the end and say, go see it. I give it a 9 out of 10. I would have loved if they somehow were to make the final chapter of the... If they were to somehow tie all of the original eight movies together, some way, somehow, and have this next one be like, Michael's been disappeared for, you know, what, 16 years now? Mm-hmm. All the old movies exist. The opening credits could be like this montage of like newspaper articles and re- and news reports talking about all these things. Thorn cults and secret cults in Haddonfield and Laurie Strode and everything like that. And you could have had something that tied them all together. Maybe some like reporter searching the mystery of Michael Myers after 16 years. And all these, you know, unexplained disappearances that have happened and things that could be but there's no concrete proof. And maybe have something where this guy uncovers something that Laurie Strode survived at the end of Resurrection and has been kept under heavy fucking wraps. You know, she's been like in a fucking coma or whatever. And that's why Michael has still killed David after killing her. The curse was never broken because she was still alive. Hmm. He's still been the shape, even though he doesn't realize it. Michael himself. And have some, th- you know, maybe uh, explore somewhere like the comics did with like the son of Dr. Loomis or, or uh, the return of Tommy Doyle and Lindsay Wallace. And have something that builds off that to a final confrontation where Michael is finally destroyed. Laurie comes back and destroys him like she should fucking have in Halloween. They still fucking know. Because one of my favorite, one of my favorite storylines in cinema history is the Rocky franchise. Yes. Of, of this this simple man who all he's ever known how to do is fight, and everything in life, his life has been an uphill battle. Everyone fucking vehemently hates Rocky Five, myself included. I thought it was dumber than a bag of hammers. <laughs> but then he comes. Stallone comes out with a movie like Rocky Balboa, Rocky Six, Rocky Five. It happened. The events of it really aren't spoken. There's very few references to it. The yeah. fact that he's living in the old neighborhood. Mm. The fact that you know when he's talking to his son, he does the whole home team thing yeah. like they used to. It's still there. But this movie was so good that it almost justifies Rocky Five's existence. I want to see the talent of a filmmaker who can justify Halloween Resurrection's fucking existence. That's a that's a. Uh, you asking for a miracle order. worker right there at that point? I think it could be done. The thing is, you just have to disconnect yourself so much from the old movies, you know, because it is sixteen years since that continuity ended. 
that those events are over and don't but necessarily But you still want have H2O to be, to be connected to the Thorn somehow. Yes. Because I love watching these movies fucking one through seven. I know, but we realize how, how a futile I did. I, was. It took me however many years, but I had to finally throw in the towel on that one. Yeah, and so... I threw in the towel, unlike Rocky did, and Apollo Creed died as a result. Yeah. So, I made the right choice, and, yeah, because and you Apollo Creed... Yeah, end up like, like uh, what's his name from Scanners, his head exploding. Drago! Uh, yeah, so Drago! I'm curious what Creed Two is going to be like. I uh, loved Creed also. But Creed so, was fantastic. Creed that that brought me to tears I, at the end. When I found out Rocky Balboa had fucking cancer, I almost cried in the theater. Oof. And watching him at the end, unable, like, barely able to fucking Go climb up, up those stairs. steps. When you watch the training montages he used to do, it's like, holy fuck. I'm going to get that old one day. Yep. It was like, it was a... It was like that. It's like Logan. It's, it's, it, it was so... A sobering exploration of like oh we're all gonna get old and die one day this long journey coming to an end you know yeah and even this movie now is a long journey coming yeah to an end we hope i hope at least well but we'll get to that yeah and so so it i mean it is what it is i will probably never get my closure on those but i, I will give rob zombie one credit he his halloween's had an ending yeah as he, he told a, a story from beginning to end which you are always a fan I respect, of. I respect. I respect. I respect. Maybe it's just my my advanced age. Since I'm I'm 34, I'm just getting that closer to you know retirement and social security. Got my AARP membership the other day. Well, your well, social security won't probably won't be there when you get there. I just so. plucked a gray hair off my chest the other day. Ouch! Big gray hair, and it was like standing out like a fucking sore thumb. <laughs> it stood out from everything else. It like pointed out forward. It's the type of it's like the type of gray hair that when you go to shave it, it just like presses it down, and then when the blade goes fully Bing! past it, it pops right back up. Um, so yeah, and so yeah, like the Rob Zombie movies had a beginning, middle, and end for 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 better or for worse. But you know this we're, we this uh, to to really bring back Halloween, Halloween two kind of did have to die, and I, I do feel like the two movies we're going to be referencing the most in comparison with this. Halloween 2 for the fact that this one is a direct sequel to the original, and Halloween H2O because it's an anniversary movie built on generally the same premise. Yeah, but there are Easter eggs throughout, which we'll get into. That is one thing I think was really awesome with David Gordon Reed. He's not just telling, even though he's you know wiping the slate clean in terms of continuity, he's not just telling every fucking filmmaker of all the previous Halloween sequels, um, fuck your fucking movies, they don't count no more. He put in plenty of nods and Easter eggs to the entire series. And even when he said that, it, it, as I'm watching these movies, you could you could pluck them out yourself, even if they weren't intended to be there. I found ones that may not even be there that I just think, oh, I could that could be an Easter egg. That could be. There are ones that are blatant, but there are some I just plucked out of fucking thin air just on the on the spark of an idea at that moment. Right. And so, <clears throat> so let's get into the movie itself. Let's get into this movie itself. If our plot synopsis isn't the most complete, forgive us. That's one of the nice things about this series and why I've been proud of all the plot synopses that we've been able to do in depth is because we've watched these movies more times than any person should. But this movie is currently only 24 hours old. I've seen it three times already. Yes. You've seen it twice, mm -hmm. counting our test screening. Mm -hmm. So you've only seen the theat complete theatrical version once. Right. I've seen it twice. And we do have plot synopses in front of us, and hopefully I can remember all the good details. Yeah, and so it opens up where we have a pair of true crime podcasters, um, Aaron Corey and Dina Haynes. Now, interestingly enough, 
Uh, the character of Aaron was originally named Martin, and I believe that we mentioned that in our um, in our trailer review. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 40 years after, you know, it's approaching the 40th anniversary of the original movie, the events of the original movie. We have Aaron and Dana, played by actors Jefferson Hall and Rian Reese. I finally got her name correct. Well, that's how you pronounce it. Well, her Instagram, in the little description, it says... It has a phonetic. It's, no, no, no. It says Ian with an R and rhymes with geese. <laughs> Rian Reese. So That's funny. Delightful pair. Hmm. They are two true crime podcasters, and as they say in a later scene, they have uh, had award-winning radio journalism yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like... A- they're kind of akin to My Favorite Murder or Last Podcast on the Left, like yes. those kind of podcasters out there. And they even mentioned that they won a, uh, an award for shedding new light on a cold case from 20 years earlier. Could it be the death of, of Mary and Whittington? Perhaps. Halloween H2O Easter egg that I'm pulling out of my ass? Yes. Because it hurts? Because eggs would hurt if you pulled them out of your ass? Mm-hmm. I am laying this egg on your couch as we speak. Uh-huh. And so they meet Dr. Sartine. Yep, they are there. At, they have traveled to Smith's Grove to interview Michael Myers, who, in, according to this continuity, was captured by Dr. Loomis at the end. he Michael, instead of disappearing into the night, was in fact apprehended. Now, this was actually intended to have been shot in a recap. Yes, using a combination of footage from the original and new camera angles with body doubles and CG faces for them. However, John Carpenter ta- um, talked uh, David Gordon Green out of that. He said, trust your audience. You know, let them let them figure it out for themselves. I am very pleased with this because the way that David Gordon Green had been describing it, he was saying, we're sort of changing the ending of Halloween. It's as if it happened differently. Uh, excuse me. Jesus, dude. This is this episode is sponsored by strawberry flavored Sprite Zero. It's delicious. I am very much against the idea of that. I don't give a fuck who you are. Do not change a timeless classic to fit your fucking movie. Mm. You fit your fucking movie around the timeless classic. Which I don't think you, why you need to change anything. You just have a body double look like Doctor Loomis, like run down the street that's made up to look like 1978 as a stumbling Michael Myers tries to escape, and you or never... shoot it in Pasadena. Which they which did, we'll, which we'll get to in a, a little yeah. bit. But I, I don't understand the fucking reason for reasoning for wanting to do that. You know, what seeing the actual capture? No, no, no. With like wanting to like retcon an ending to, especially to a movie that is as timeless a classic as Halloween. That makes no sense. That's like let's 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 uh, let's bring back Philip's vision from the critic, where the ending of uh, Gone with the Wind is changed to be less downbeat. <laughs> you know, and Jay Sherman, <laughs> Jay Sherman. Uh, bribe Duke Phillips with the only cure for his disease, Jay's oil, if he destroys his machine that does that. Does he have to like, do it like every four hours? He has to like... Yeah, eject uh, into both eyeballs. Both, both eyeballs. And it act- turns out this cures the most e- only cures the people with the most evil genetics. Yes. I just clubbed my thousandth seal, all thanks to Jay's oil. Oh. And there's like a clan member thanking Jay. <laughs> <laughs> and so... So they kept it more ambiguous, which I love. You can fill in this gap for yourself. The gap that I have filled in is that Michael did escape into the night. And as we see in the ending of Halloween, as it's going from shots of where he's been with the sound of him breathing, the last shot is him at the Myers house. Or the last shot is of the Myers house before the original movie cuts the credits. I believe Michael tried retreating to the Myers house, Mm -hmm. but he was injured from falling out the window and getting shot out because this does go back to a less supernatural Michael Myers in this movie. Right. He is, once again, a human who you think his insanity 
has disconnected him so much from like physical pain mm-hmm. that you know could he truly be the boogeyman, the supernatural boogeyman? But because he is a man, he can still be injured. It keeps that ambiguity. So I feel that that's what it was that he tried retreating to the Myers house, but was caught. You know, Loomis probably could have gotten to the nearest phone in the Doyle house, called nine one one, the police dispatcher. Could have sent something out there, and Brackett, who was already looking for Michael and told his men to keep your mouth shut and eyes open, you know, could have immediately caught up with Loomis and followed. And one cop, as we will find out, did. Yes. Because we do get also a bit of an epilogue to the original Halloween. Of A little more is revealed as time goes by in this movie of what happened during Michael's actual apprehension. Mm. But I am very pleased that the final result did not retcon Halloween. No, because that would be really disappointing. That would be disappointing and fucking stupid. Yes. But we are introduced to a new character, Dr. Renbeer Sartain, or as he said, I Dr. Renbeer Sartain. Yes, that's his pronunciation of his own name. He, he has a very thick accent with a very gravelly voice. <laughs> he is played by Hungarian actor, I believe he was, was he Hungarian or Turkish? I am not too sure. Well, anyway, he's played by actor Haluk Bilginer. There's a lot of actors with fucking hard-to-pronounce names. It's Haluk Bilginer. Bilginer. He's Turkish. Okay, he was Turkish. Goddamn you, mobile IMDb. <laughs> this character, now, you could think of as the new Loomis, because he is Michael's new psychiatrist, new doctor. New guardian, pretty much. New guardian. This whole movie, I, I, I wasn't surprised when this character was introduced, because it makes perfect sense... Especially when he says, I was one of Dr. Loomis's students, top students when he passed away. And I lobbied for the University of Illinois to make me Michael's primary caregiver. That does not, you know, surprise me or whatever. It is only natural that if Michael's going to be locked up for 40 years, you know, that he's going to have another psychiatrist after Dr. Loomis passes, which also addresses the fact that they do, they don't try to recast, you know, Dr. Loomis. Donald no. Pleasance has passed away. But like, uh, even the point that Jamie Lee Curtis like, underlines is saying, like, oh, you're the new Loomis. Later in the film. A lot of this movie was predicated, especially in interviews about Laurie being the new Loomis. And to clarify what we mean by, by the new Loomis or the Loomis character, I identify the archetype, archetypal character, if that's – is that how you pronounce it? Archety- yeah. Archetypical? Yeah. Character of Dr. Loomis as the person – that best understands what Michael is, knows the danger he presents, and is on a mission to stop him, even if no one believes him. Mm. That could be anybody. It was Laurie. Laurie became that in Halloween H2O when she finally decided to stand up and fight. Yeah. Tommy Doyle was that in Curse of Michael Myers. But it's mostly fallen into the hands of Donald Pleasance throughout the years as Dr. Loomis, as the, the one person that knows how horrible things can be and you know, is on a mission to stop it if no one believes him. It doesn't have to be a literal psychiatrist. No, he, the, the, he would have to be the hunter of Michael the hunt, Myers. The pursuer, the yeah. Ahab to his whale. Yeah. And that could be anybody. It's just it has, over the years, been so much Dr. Loomis because of, of everything Donald Pleasance brought to the role. Right, and so that's why um, Jimmy Lee Curtis kind of assumes that role here. Like, yeah, you could, you could people have said, like, oh, Sartain would be that person. But no, his motivations later on to yes. be very different. We're now presented with a new Loomis. Uh, he's pretty much, I get the feeling that he is pretty much the one who has arranged this with, uh, Dana and Aaron as yeah. almost like a last ditch effort because Michael is due to be transferred the next day to a maximum security prison that is described as like hell on earth. Yeah. And Dr. Sartain is, is kind of sad to see him go. 
we get a lot of hints that Sartain isn't exactly playing with a full deck and that he's very different from his predecessor. Mm-hmm. That he is on a mission to understand and study Michael, almost like like a scientist obsessed with his experiment to the mm-hmm. point where he loses all morality. Right. And boy, does he. Yeah, exactly, especially later on. And so Aaron and Daniel are brought out to the courtyard to see Michael. Very is... 70s mental institution looking with this there... weird like white and red checkerboard tiled floor, like Bro. concrete tiles. Yeah, and, like, everybody, every patient is chained to a heavy block in the center of this big square. And, a, yeah, then there's, like, a yellow line around perimeter, squared it's off. Like, it's, like, like, six feet away from. It's their from, reach, essentially. Exactly. You don't cross the yellow line. Then if you don't cross across that line, nobody will be able to reach you. So it's Michael and several other patients enjoying the bright summer day, or bright fall day, excuse me. Dr. Sartain saying that they all get all the, you know, all these, uh. A, 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 I don't want to say accommodations, but they all get they all get treated like human beings. Yeah, they get exercise, proper diet, and so he on. He said that Michael has been seen by over 50 clinical psychiatrists over the years. All of them have many different takes and opinions on his insanity. And the fact that he is able to speak but just chooses not to. Yes, like he is physically able to speak, but he has, has not uttered a word in now, what, 55 years as a grand total? Mm-hmm. Um. But he also says Loomis was the only one to observe him in the wild. And I noticed that, like, that's a very uh, clinical terminology, that, like, he's the only one to see him. He didn't use the terminology, like, he was the only one to see him actually do anything, to see him in the wild. Like, he's an animal? Yeah. Like, you know, you're like, he's an animal you experiment on or whatever? Loomis concluded that Michael was just pure evil that needed to be destroyed. But I want, you know, this guy wants to dig deeper, find out more. Is he being able to quantify evil? Yes. And there's almost a sadness about him seeing Michael being taken away and transferred. Mm -hmm. So Aaron and Dana approach. uh, Dana's recording on a... uh, Recording device similar, very similar to very the body. similar to the one that we're talking into right now. Yes, however, the fact that we're using the XLR inputs yes. for and not the onboard microphone is better the onboard, audio. Yeah, she's using the onboard mic, not even pointing it at them when they're speaking. No, and you know that thing. This I, I doubt that onboard mic has a very long range. No, I mean I've seen podcasts like yeah, like it's kind of like using like a hand microphone, like you see reporters to ask questions. But you need to be that close, like the the range of give for these microphones is not that big so and the fact that it's out, outside during the day and has no windscreen on it yes it's that's just very bothersome of me a lot of people pointed that out yeah it should just be like uh, if you want just like all right excellent input to like a cheap boom mic because she's got a pistol grip and she just she can move back and forth to whoever's talking so you have clean audio i know it's just like the fact that like since podcasting is something that's very important to us, it's one of the things we'll scrutinize a little bit heavier than the uh, general audience. General audience won't give a shit. Yes. We will, though. So Aaron, he tries talking to Michael, you know, asking him questions about saying, I've, I've studied your case for years. I want to ask you about that night 40 years ago. And he looks over to Sartain for a minute when he gets no response. We notice Michael, he's, you know, very old now. We see him kind of from like the rear. Like three quarters from him. And we know you notice there's a his his uh, eye that he was poked with a coat hanger is kind of fucked up. Yeah, and there's a bit of a scar, uh, scar like a hole in his neck where a knitting needle once went. Yeah, so. he's got the scar on the neck and he's missing an eye. Yep, or an eye is at least put out or something. It's mm. not functioning. So as Aaron's talking to him, to no response, he looks over to Sartain, who gives him a nod as if to say okay. Opens his bag and says, "I got something from the from the district attorney, the attorney I- general's office." And it's the original Myers it's mask. It's the Michael Myers mask that's been sitting in an evidence locker for, for 40 years. It has decayed over time. The mask was designed in this movie by FX artist Christopher Allen Nelson, who's been just 
kicking ass on so many things. He's also an actor a little bit. He has an acting role as a police officer who is killed at the end of this movie. Huh. Yep. Wait, he's one of the cops in the... He's one of the cops at the end. In the squad car? Yep. Okay. I gotcha. And so... He designed this mask. He, From what I read, he was able to get his hands on the current uh, mold for the re- heavily reissued William Shatner mask that mm-hmm. the original mask was based off of. Obviously, with the popularity of Halloween and the Michael Myers mask... Demand has come for people to make their own. So the William Shatner mask from the 70s has been reissued over the past 40 years. Mm-hmm. So he got that, and he studied... I hope William Shatner gets a penny off these masks or something. Oh, I'm sure he does. Over the masks themselves, Yeah, but not Michael Myers. Yeah. But Christopher Allen Nelson, he did study masks that have aged over the years and how latex has degrades and such, a, especially different elements and stuff and how it would react to the fact that it's been a, an evidence locker for 40 years. Yeah. And so it's kind of weathered and such. And it's, very it's, wrinkly, almost old man looking. Right, which is very much uh, akin to what Michael really is now as an old man. And the fact that it's like, it's a kind of a nod to the zombie mask. I was just going to say that, like, could its decomposition be a nod to the zombie mask? Which I think it is. I believe I believe it is and isn't because it's like you're going to get that regardless, right? You're, I mean, like from the first image release, people were making that comparison. Oh yeah. Now the funniest part was that an article was posted. I don't know how old this article is. To tell you the truth, it might have been older, but just reposted the same day that the poster of this Halloween was released with the first image of Michael Myers' mask. An article was released about the fate of the original William Shatner Michael Myers mask that Tommy Lee Wallace created. Mm. Uh, Dick Warlock has had it in his possession all this time at the end of Halloween too, because he asked if he could, you know, take the stuff. Since there's not, there's not going to be another one. <laughs> hmm. So ownership was became very, uh, very uh, difficult over the years. That's why that mask was never brought back. But Dick Warlock, he made an appearance at a horror convention for some horror museum. A guy runs as part of a haunted house. I don't know the exact details. I probably should have looked it up. I think it's in Florida. Mm-hmm. But he brought, you know, the mask, uh, the scalpel he used in number two, and the boots. And the actual Michael Myers mask looks, v- I, with the, the exception, it, it's more worse in certain areas than worse overall. Because of build of moisture and, like, where yes. sweat was, and it did degraded the mouth and the eye holes. The eye holes, the mouth, and the neck really, like, degraded and crumpled up. But the rest of it, fairly decent. Yeah. So it's almost, to me, like, I wonder if... Christopher Nelson got to see this, and I wonder if when he read that article, did he think, shit, maybe I should have looked into the fate of the real mask. Anyway. Either way, I do love it. It, it definitely it, it looks like the Myers mask except aged. Yeah. It has that blank expression mm-hmm. that you could project emotion onto, which we will talk about during the ending. Mm-hmm. It's something I definitely, my mind noticed. And <laughs> he, that... Aaron holds out the mask at arm's length over the line at this point. Over the line at this point. Michael sort of moves his head he, a little he, bit. He takes notice of it. He takes notice of it. And Aaron even says, you feel it, don't you? The mask, it's presence. But the, the weird thing is that everybody else in the courtyard... All the mental patients are so disturbed by this. Yeah, they start freaking out by what's going on. Acting up, jumping up and down. The guard dog that's there is whining. Yeah. And crying, and as all this noise is going on, Aaron is trying to convince Michael. Say, say something. something. Say is screaming. Say at something. Say something. And finally, at the end, say something. Boom! Halloween theme. Cut yeah. The credits. Halloween. Now we did not get to see this credit credit sequence in our test screening. We got to see just plain black background, orange text. Mm. This, I believe, it was the original font of Halloween with that sort of illumination to it. Right. 
what we have now is very similar to the original Halloween's credits, where you have the the actual credits off to the right, but now to the left there is a decomposed, just mush pile of a of an old pumpkin. But as the credits go on, this pumpkin is slowly starting to recompose. It's almost it's almost like taking a time lapse video of a decomposing pumpkin and putting it backwards. Yeah, it's kind of like you, know, you think of how Christine rebuilds herself in Christine. Yes. And I just kind of feel like, was that their, the filmmaker's feelings of where the franchise was after Rob Zombie's Halloween? And it was a big pile of decomposed mush, and now we're putting it back together? They, yeah. I, I got that, too. But the the pumpkin recomposes into the famous pumpkin from the opening titles. Mm-hmm. So, finally, you know, the credits end. John Carpenter's new Halloween theme sounds awesome. Yes. I like it a lot. Recorded with his son, Cody, and Dave... And uh, uh, collaborator, Daniel Davies. Yes. They have... The two of them, I'd say really Cody and Daniel have been the ones to really get John Carpenter back on the music horse because John Carpenter's been doing his music tours with them. Right, which I did get to see him once uh, the first time around he came in. It was a fantastic show. Yeah, so Carpenter, Carpenter, it's good to see him doing something other than sitting around playing video games all day. Yeah, he gets to be a rock star now. And and he does want to make another movie. I will say when I'm his age, I hope my work will have paid off enough to where I could spend my retirement sitting around playing video games all day. Exactly. Instead of doing it now when I should be productive. Mm. (laughs) But anyways, as the uh, credits end, we get, you know, famous text and famous font, Haddonfield, Illinois. Mm. Dana and Aaron are on their way to see another familiar face. Yes. Talking about has one monster created another. Right, and as they reach a house in the middle of nowhere that has big iron gates and you need the... A no uh, trespassing sign, and there's an intercom out there. We hear a kind of familiar music start to play. Car- John, he made a new version of Laurie's theme. Mm-hmm. The original Laurie's theme, I don't want to say it's happy or whatever to describe her, but it is. there is a contrast to it compared to the rest of the music. It does have this brightness to it. It does have this upbeatness to it, even though it is dark. It has this calm before the storm effect. Mm-hmm. This new version of this is more because Laurie's theme. I wish I had a little piano here. It was like kind of high up there yeah. in register. This one's a little lower, like do 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 do. It sounds like Laurie's theme is old, tired, and beat up. Yeah, it describes her descent so well. Even before we get a chance to see her in person, do 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 do. It, like it, 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 you know, in a descending, in a more in a more descending type sound than ascending, like the original Laurie's theme. Right, and so when they get to the intercom, they offer they want to speak to Laurie Strode and. They offer three thousand dollars cash well, in order to do this interview. Dana does. Aaron doesn't think they should, but when, she, but when. Uh, Dana says over the con, how does $3,000 sound? She finally opens the gate, and Dana gives this smart-ass look to, to Aaron. Yeah, I keep wanting he, to call him Martin. Because he didn't <laughs> want to pay for their journalism, that reporters don't yes. do that. But it, it, it gets a chance to have her with an interview with Lori, and they just describe, like, we've seen him. Um, do you want to talk about how your life is kind of gone since it's the events of the first movie have happened where he's had two failed marriages he never she lost the custody of her child never regaining it and strained relationship with her grandchildren or grandchild i should say and boy is sure like like as they're pulling up we just see security cameras all of the like old looking stuff stuff she set up a long time ago yeah like gigantic floodlights on top of her house everything all her bars over all her windows uh like metal like thick fencing, like you see in some of those like uh, mesh trash cans mm. over like her doors and everything. 
And when Lori opens her front door, she pulls up, you know, like opens a latch, turns this deadbolt, pulls off a bar in front of the door. She has like multiple locks on her front door. Right. And even her screen door that has that like thick metal wire, you know, she has to unlock several times when she talks to them. She gets in, just pulls up a chair, like sits down on the back of the chair in front. You know, when when you sit to- with your with the front of your body towards the front towards the back of the chair, and you no, kind of straddle actually, it because she leans back with her arms across her chest. Yeah, over the top of the chair. No, she leans back into it. I just saw this fucking movie this morning. I because I'm pretty sure she leans back into it. She doesn't do like the like oh this is a tough teacher moment where she's gonna sit in the back of the chair and talk to the students kind of thing. Mm, you, Whatever you, you people figure out. But she has this just no bullshit look of what the fuck do you people want? Right. She's humoring them at this point. She's humoring them. They talk about you know like you just said all the things that she's been through. Talking and about then she confirms to that he's only killed five. Yeah. Meaning Judith, the, the, truck driver, the truck driver, and Linda, Bob, and Annie. And Annie. And Dana describes Michael Myers is a human being who murdered his sister. Michael Myers is a human being who killed five. And we have to understand him. And Aaron jokingly says, oh, you know, jokes about him being referred to as the boogeyman. And Laurie laughs from the line in the trailer. You don't believe in the boogeyman? And the T-shirt I am wearing right now by Fright Rags. They have an awesome Halloween 2018 t-shirt. Mm-hmm. You should buy it. I wore this last night. I'm wearing it again today. You don't believe in the boogeyman. You should. And he says, no. Mm. I believe in Michael Myers, a human being who murdered people. But the boogeyman, no. Well, right. you should. Yeah. And then I, she's like, time's up. And like, and when she goes to see him out, they say, we saw him before We saw him before his transfer. Do you want to speak to him? We met him. There was, there was nothing. No reaction. I showed him the mask. And, there, and you see Lori starting to like. Kind of freak out. Barely hold it together. Like, this woman, this is probably the biggest theme of this movie is how to deal with trauma decades later. Halloween H2O had a Lori that hid her pain, ran from it, buried it under booze and pills until it confronted her again, and she had to finally stand up and fight. In this one, this is a Lori that has been prepared to stand up and fight the whole time that has wanted that to come back yeah this is a complete h2o contrast mm. which so, is kind of a thing because jamie lee curse has admitted h2o was done for the money I, I believe it's because it devolved into that yeah she was originally the spark that got it that got the wheels turning right but then when it just became a fucking corporate money project that no one wanted you know that no one really cared about as art mm. that's where her interest waned yeah I hope she read the contract this time. Yeah, because her and Carpenter executive producers on this. Yeah, they tell her how they met with Michael. Nothing. They want they want to reunite Laurie Strode with Michael Myers. Yeah, because you would want to see what kind of response that yes. would get. Now I know you could probably tell by this point Doctor Sartain wants that too for of some course. kind of breakthrough. These people want to further their careers. Laurie Laurie wants. She wants to be reunited, but not in that kind of way. Not to talk. She wants to fucking kill him. Yeah, and on her terms. On her terms. That's why her house is like this, because she's fortified in the just case, just occasion if he does escape and comes after her again. Like, for the sole purpose of it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, after kicking them out, you know, we are now introduced to uh, her daughter, uh, Karen Strode, who's married to a man named Ray, and they have a daughter, uh, Allison. Allison is played by newcomer Andy Matichek. Mm-hmm. 
And Karen's played by Judy Greer. By the always wonderful Judy Greer, who I absolutely love from the movie, the the show Archer. Mm -hmm. And I even pointed out an Archer reference in one scene later on. Yes. We get to that. Uh, Judy Greer is the voice of Cheryl, Cheryl Tunt on Archer. (laughs) I was hoping to hear her scream at Michael Myers, you're not my supervisor. (laughs) And... There's uh, a big, you know, Honor Society Award. Uh, Allison got into the Honor Society. There's a a ceremony they're having later Mm -hmm. on. She asks, was grandmother invited? And Karen really quickly just kind of, you know, stares at her. What? Like, she has to think of a lie to say why she hasn't, because their relationship is very strained. Yes, because we find out later on, I'll, I'll jump to it now, is that much like how in Terminator 2 we had Sarah Connor and John Connor and their relationship is to fortify and prepare for the apocalypse that Karen's been trained the same way that she's been taught how to fight. She's been taught how to use guns and she's been living in this house that's been very emotionally damaging to a child at that age to the point that she was taken away. And so Karen as an adult has done everything in her powers to distance herself from her mother and her, her childhood and try and have a somewhat normal life afterwards and that's why she wants to keep her daughter Allison away from uh, Lori because she doesn't want that kind of ideas poisoning her own daughter yes um, so yeah she could tell that her mother lied and uh, when her friends arrive you know she goes away walks to school she walks to school with her friends Vicky and, Vicky and Vicky's boyfriend Dave Vicky is played by Virginia Gardner who she's in a Marvel thing isn't she right now in humans uh... I think that's no longer a thing. All right. Well, that was a thing. Yeah. It's like the only like real big failure in Marvel in she's the past in, years. All right. She's been in something Marvel recently, I believe, a show. And uh, Boyfriend Dave, played by Miles Robbins. As they walk to school, you know, they, they get very meta. Uh, the Runaways, not the Inhumans. That's what she's in. Oh, okay. <laughs> they get kind of meta. They start. She starts talking about how her mother's a liar and her grandmother's a basket case and how uh, her grandmother, you know, survived what she survived. What's so funny? <laughs> Your mother's a bitch. <laughs> Your mother's a bitch. In the words of Red Letter. So Kathy, Kathy Strode, <laughs> who is cursed. Yes. Your mother's a bitch. Yeah, and so, and, like, they even, like, just even uh, Dave brings up the fact, like, wait, wasn't there a rumor that they were brother and sister? Wasn't it her brother who killed all those people? It's like, no, that was not her brother. That's something people made up. This was in the trailer. We got an alternate version of that. Yeah. You know, the me- very meta version of saying, you know, that's, you know, that's, that continuity's gone. And they start talking about, wouldn't it be, I think Vicky says, like, isn't it scarier that just some random person, you know, stalked you and targeted you? Yeah. Your family? Mm. So Dave, at the end of that, you know, their little fun conversation, Dave decides to explode a pumpkin on his way to school. Right. Firecrackers. And even, like, even comments on the fact, like, why should we be afraid of him? He killed a few people for Five people's pretty tame by today's standards. Yeah. And it's very meta. Yeah, because there's so many other things that we're very much aware of and conscious of that could be a threat to us on an everyday basis. So yep. one serial killer that killed only five people it doesn't seem like it's a monumental threat in their everyday lives. Hey, so he's been locked up for 40 years, you know? Like, he ain't going nowhere. Like, no big no big deal, you know? Just right. like everyone does with Michael Myers. No big deal. Yeah, and so he shoves a firecracker to a jack land that blows up. Happy Halloween, and we get to school, and we are introduced to Allison's boyfriend, Cameron, who's mm-hmm. going to be... Uh, who her parents are going to meet. Cameron actually is the son of Lonnie Elam, one of the bullies picking on uh, Tommy Doyle in the original. He's uh... credited as Cameron Elam. And I noticed Ray saying, talking about his father, Lonnie, and how he punched a cop once. So Lonnie Elam has continued to be a troublemaker throughout his life. Yeah. 
And, and, they, uh, they, and Ray and Lonnie spoke peyote in the in the woods once, and they were yep. tripping balls together. And they were buddies. They used to trip balls together. So I, I, I can imagine Ray was one of the kids picking on Tommy Doyle now. Yep. So, hey, maybe. You never know. So we're introduced to him, and at the same time introduced to their mutual friend, Oscar. You know, he's kind of like the, the, the schlubby guy who can't get a girl to save his life, but no, he's so I, lovable. He's, yeah, it, it's... He's the lovable schlub. Exactly. He's almost like the Shelly from Friday the 13th Part 3, Yeah, but a little more obnoxious. And, like, I know people are going to have problems with this, and the fact that, like, oh, like... Danny, this is the Danny McBride stand-in character or something like that. Like people could infer that, and I and I, I just I think it's a little unfair. I think there there every group has that one friend that's kind of clinging on to, especially a couple and everything. The third wheel, total third wheel, and he totally and yeah, and he totally has the has the hots for Allison, and that kind of comes to a head later on. Well, he said that that uh, him and Cameron aren't going to be doing a Halloween thing for the big da- the big Halloween dance together because mm. Cameron decided to do a costume thing with uh, Allison. Yeah. Going as Bonnie and Clyde with a twist. Yes. So we get introduced to them and we get into a pretty familiar looking classroom. Mm. I'm not going to say it, obviously it's not the same one. This movie was filmed in North Carolina, not South Pasadena. Why I feel that is a, a bit of a weakness I will say later when we get to it. Actually right around this time. So Allison's in class, and a teacher starts talking about a familiar subject about fate. I did not know this until I saw in the ending credits that particular teacher. We don't see the teacher. We hear her voice. Very much like in the original. Very much like in the original. The voice of the teacher is another Halloween alumni, PJ Souls. Mm. Linda herself is back as as, uh, Allison's teacher talking about fate. And as Alan sits, Alan, mm. Allison sits in a very familiar classroom like her grandmother did 40 years ago. She looks out the window and sees a figure standing there staring back at her through the window. It's Lori. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much like very much like a role reversal of Michael Myers, which is going to continue throughout. The idea of role reversal is a theme in this movie. Now, I don't want to know if it's meant if it's implied to be the exact same classroom. I don't think so. I don't think so. Mostly because that means that they would have had to tore down every block on that house to make a football field. Yeah. So, because in the very next scene, uh, we meet Allison and Lori after school talking together. And because then Lori has given the $3,000 to Allison. Tell her to do whatever you want with it. Yeah, I, I, she just didn't want that money. And I'll Allison, save it for college. It's like, fuck, fuck college. college. Go to go places. Go, go to Mexico. Mexico. Which I do it like, like if I was giving three grand right now, I'm like, fuck yeah, I'd be going out. I'd be traveling. I would not be here. But that's the thing, though. That just goes to show you the strained relationship she has with her grandmother. Because she's been, she did not deal with her grandmother's bullshit firsthand the way her mother did. Yeah. The way Karen did. So there's a curiosity. She wants to, like, bring this family together. She yeah. wants, she wants, she wants to heal things. Which but, I can fully. Yes. Uh, identify with, especially to see later on. But. Even to the point that she tries, like, almost takes the position of her mother in this scene when Lori goes to leave and says, like, why don't you just leave him out of here, leave him behind? And Lori retorts in the fact of saying, like, if what I did to prepare your mother means that I had to... The horrors of this world. And sacrifice a a, a functional mother-daughter and relationship. Means she hates me, but she's prepared, then, you know... It was worth it. And Allison reminds her of how much it cost her and tells her... Leave Michael behind and get over it. Yeah. Now, what I was saying before, this movie was filmed in North Carolina, not South Pasadena. It was filmed for only $10 million. 
That was a, a thing of Jason Blum. That's his like modus operandi for his movies. They all have a ten million dollar ceiling for his movies. The only one to go above that was Get Out last year. That went a little bit more than that by for I guess reshoots because that that had an alternate ending as well. But that's for a different conversation, different day. Well, it's funny is that I believe it was, it was either. Two days ago or three days ago, I saw IGN has been doing a whole series of interviews with everyone involved, released them a little bit at a time. Of course. There was one he did with uh, Jason Blum and John Carpenter together talking about the low budget. And John says every director would want to have more time and more money. It's like, are you kidding me? What the hell? And, and Jason disagrees with him because he's never been a director. He's like, have you ever been a director? He's like, I believe that keeping a low budget forces a director to become creative and to go outside his – boundaries to figure out new ways to get the job done right if you have an unlimited amount of money you can just fucking do everything in a computer yeah and, and it's something it, it, like us with what version of Hall rob zombies halloween 2 we like it's something the two of them accepted they will never agree on mm. because john carpenter knows what it's like to make shit on a shoestring budget he, yeah he would say i bet you if you would if in 1978 john carpenter to get 10 million dollars to make halloween he'd have been a much happier man of the course movie probably would have looked just as good exactly the same but i guarantee you he would have been felt much better about it. Right. I mean, limitations make you more creative. That's a that's a conceit that I be, uh, firmly believe in. I wish in this movie Jason Blum threw him a couple more bucks because this is actually not one of the highest budgeted Halloweens. I think it's actually under Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah, because those were both made for $15 million 10 years ago. So inflation. I wish he would have gone 15 and I wish they would have shot it in South Pass. Because it's so expensive to shoot in California. It's so expensive. But the thing is, South Pass is so important. To Halloween, just look at it. South Pass for all intents and purposes is Halloween. It is Haddonfield. People make pilgrimages there to to see all the all the uh, filming locations. People go to the fucking Myers house and just stand there in awe. People go to Laurie Strode's the Strode house, look at it, stand there. They sit on the freaking stoop that Laurie sat at, waiting for Annie to be picked up. The residents there leave out pumpkins year round for people to to take pictures with mm. they go to the fucking hedge house the house with the big hedge michael stood behind uh, in an interview for horrors hollow grounds the owner said people ask if they could take a, a leaf off the hedge you know the town has become the town has become a character in the halloween franchise right just as much as michael myers just as important to go back 40 years later i f and have it still be set in haddonfield i really believe that they should have just done that one expense, and you could have built around how, the changes that South Pasadena has made over the years. Mm. If you compare the people's footage of location tours to footage from the original Halloween, you will see there is not a single fucking area of sidewalk to park anymore. Yeah. People have moved there like crazy. You'll see that, like, there's restaurants all over the place, hipsters walking their dogs. Nothing wrong with you hipster folks, but, mm -hmm. you know, you, you probably don't listen to this anyway. Yeah. You could bring that into the plot. Of how had this town Haddonfield has gentrified itself to get away from this reputation of the home of of you know a horrible serial killer. You could also bring in the fact that the original Myers house is no longer in its same location, and that all the original homes on that block have been torn down and rebuilt with new condos. I believe that this scene that we have of Laurie and Allison by the football field talking, you could have filmed. Here's what I would have loved to have done. And I think I mentioned this in our trailer review. It's that, I think so. It would be them walking the exact same route, route Laurie and Tommy Doyle took at the beginning of the original. And stopping at the Myers house. Where you have the same dialogue talking about, you know, the $3,000, do whatever you want with it. And once you get to the end of that, or at least the middle of that scene, I guess it would be. Yeah. You have Laurie and Allison walking, asking, why, you know, 
why are we going this way? Well, this is the route I took to school for 40 years ago to this day. And as they approach the Myers house, the same way Tommy and Lori did, we see Lori look up with just like a look of just zoning out on her face. Cut to shot from the original Halloween of that approach to the Myers house. The one where Tommy goes, the Myers house, Mm -hmm. the first person shot. Cut back to old Lori. I'm sorry. I'm so full of gas right now. Mm-hmm. Cut back to old Lori just like breathing, starting to get heavier. She's zoned out, having trouble. And Allison almost has to snap her out of it like, Grandma. Right. Like, huh. She looks looks back at the house, and it's that same shot set up except with the new house that's, mm-hmm. that's now sitting on the ground that the Myers house once stood. Yeah, because we know like you have any real good per- – any real uh- – Anybody who wants to deal with land would like would have torn that down of the sold that property. No way of ends away, but especially if there was any kind of like um, bad history. Look at Poltergeist. Yeah, I mean, uh, they only moved the headstones. But they the only money. moved the headstones. And and Allison could say this was his house. They they, they tore it down such a long time ago. They tore down every house on the block. People yeah. moved away. They didn't want anything to do with this. Yeah, and, and which would be cool, and or like even like, and say like for instance, say if it was still there. They've, like it was untouched or anything. Like, it's even worse now. Have her throw a rock at like vandalized, vandalized, or like <sighs> kind of like when Jenny sees that her old house in Forrest Gump as yeah. an adult, and how she freaks out at that. That could have worked. But we do have a Myers house stand-in in this. We do the dollhouse. That oh, Ju- Judy's uh, Judy Greer's uh, dollhouse when she was a child even is modeled after the Myers house. It's pretty inaccurate. It's got the. It has a window in the middle, and it has the two. Roof that's windows. a door. The wind in the, 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 the no in, on the second floor. There's a window. There's in the a middle. third window there. Yeah. All right. And there's that. two uh, upper windows in the roof, like attic windows. Oh, okay. That's why. That's why I talk at, took it as to be a standard. Oh, it, it totally is. But I mean, I think it would have been cool if you could add this because that the scene I'm talking about, and then have it end the same way where she says, "Forget about Michael Myers and get over it," you know. Mm. And that's how that scene ends. And obviously, the fact that the real Myers house stands at the end of this very road, you obviously shoot around it. Yeah. I feel doing that would have been awesome because this movie has no mention of the Myers house. Like, yes, you say there's a dollhouse. It's a little nod to it. No mention. No no going to a new Myers house, like a Salt Lake City Myers house or, or you know, one built on set somewhere that you splice with real footage. Right. Nothing. And I noticed something very interesting. This is the third anniversary movie of sorts, like Halloween 4, 10-year anniversary, H2O 20-year, Halloween 2018, 40th. Every anniversary film are the only films not to feature or even mention the Myers House. Halloween 2, we have the Myers House when they throw in rocks at it. Halloween 4, no Myers House, not even to mention. Halloween 5, we have the fucking Myers Mansion. Yeah. Chris and Michael Myers, the Salt Lake City Myers House. H2O, no Myers House, not even to mention. Resurrection, the... Takes place in it. The Myers House. Rob Zombie's Halloween, Myers House. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, a new Myers House that's kind of shot around to yeah. show that it's not the same one, but it's there. And this one, no Myers House. Every every anniversary movie that is a specifically anniversary movie has not featured the Myers House at all. Strange. Not Interesting, sure. isn't it? Yeah. And so we move on, and we have Dana and Aaron going through old uh, records of it, including a tape recording of... Now, was there one more scene in between this? I'm not too sure. I mean, there was a scene with Dana and Aaron we'll get to in a second that we saw in the test screen that's not in the theatrical movie, which we'll describe to you. It's in some of the tra- brief moments in the trailers, but it's not in the movie. I believe it's I believe it's um, 
after this, the very next day on Halloween Day. Like, yeah. This is still October 30th, but I, I believe you're right. The next we get to a scene with um, – No, with, I, I guess that – yeah, because I'm jumping ahead because – we have to have Myers escaping and and Laurie trying well, to go kill him. It's intercut with this. Yeah. We get a new scene. We have, you know, Laurie's new theme playing. Uh, Aaron and Dana are at their hotel, you know, reviewing notes, and they pop in a cassette tape dated, like, January something, 1979. It's a statement made by Dr. Loomis after Michael's trial. Now, they got a sound, just like H2O, they got a sound alike for this. I thought it was the same sound alike, but I From found H2O, out- but it's not. I thought it was voice actor Tom Kane, but I was very wrong. It is actually credited in the in the Halloween 2018 credits. Colin Mahan. When we originally heard, saw this, I th- I think you know memory is fuzzy. Obviously, you know when you see something once, it's imprinted and it kind of fades as time goes by. You got to see it again to have the picture be more clear in your head. I kind of thought that they used either a different take from this actor. Or it was mixed differently for that cassette tape sound. Mm. I was convinced that they took audio of Donald Pleasance from other movies and spliced it together. And he's just that damn good a fucking actor that it it sounded like it was really him speaking these lines. It's very close. And it's kind of like they're asking him what to be done about Michael Myers since the events of the first movie. And this is just such a cold... I, I found this to be one of the like, spookiest parts. Like, Dr. Loomis in this tape gives the speech about my, how Michael Myers must be executed. Yeah. It comes off so cold and just, like, like it's so... So clinical about it. So clinical, it? so low-key. And th- we're reviewing this over, you know, court documents and, and the the court sketch of Dr. Loomis from Which the Which presumably this is where this, this taping is from. And photographs of Michael as a child. And, and because this only follows one movie's continuity and you disconnect the rest, the rest, once he said Michael Myers must be... Must be executed. You talk about uh, administered by lethal injection. I will be on site to make sure that the heartbeat has ceased. And when it's over, the body must be incinerated. Immediately. It, it must be immediately incinerated. There's no point in keeping it alive. Yeah. The evil must die. It must die. And I'm thinking of this, and I'm just getting... Well, he's first... getting so more agitated. Like He's like really like... Building and building it to really get this idea across that he's getting worked up as the speech goes on. I thought that that was kind of ham-fisted. Okay. Because it's like, it, 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 they kind of went a little bit, you know, Halloween 4, 5, and 6 hours. Michael, he must die. But Loomis at this point. Go home. Go, go to your house. That's what I used to say when fucking uh, busy hours used to be at work. We worked <laughs> together at Walmart. Go home. Go to your house. I wanted to hit him with a two by four <laughs> and break the fucking note. Die. Die. But it's like Loomis, you know, he's giving this. I, I felt like the fact that he gets a little, but he gets worked up and the tape kind of like starts to wear out. So the the voice kind of alters a pitch, like like the tape is getting stuck almost because it's old. Yeah. I just felt that this just cold, chilling thing to say about you know this person, and I'm and he's saying. When he said the uh, the body be immediately incinerated, I was getting like flashes in my mind of you know y- this ch- this six year old child holding the knife with the mask being pulled off, like this guy sitting here talking about how we have to execute this person, and it's like yes, Michael's the boogeyman, he's a monster, but at one point he was a human, and yeah, you studied him for fifteen years, and he did nothing else but just sit there and 
you know, one day he did strike again, and it, it just it, it gave me chills. And this is intercut with Michael being prepared for his transfer. Now, Lori, in the beginning, know, when she met with Aaron and Dana, she knows of the transfer that's going to happen. She's sitting outside Smith's Grove with a little fucking, like, was a microbrew bottle of some kind of booze trying to get through this with a gun in her hand, like, trying to hold back the tears. Lip is quivering. Michael's being loaded onto a bus. Dr. Sartain's looking out of a window saying, Michael... Until, I, until he gets the new prison, he's still my patient. Now I'm going to see it through, so he decides to ride with the... Well, before that, looks like, I will always be with you. Giving us a hint that there's, like, there's something off about this guy. He's not like Loomis. Mm. Loomis wants Michael fucking destroyed. This guy wants Michael preserved and studied because he's such a unique, you know, case and experiment. And the state's just going to throw... The state, after 40 years, is just going to throw him in the fucking basement. Oh, yeah, and throw him in a hole and leave him there. Throw him in a hole and lock, away, lock him away and throw away the key. Until his body gives up on him. Until, that, until the end. So Sartain goes on the bus, you know, to escort them. Uh, it starts driving away, and we just see Lori, like, just getting more and more nervous seeing him inside this bus until she finally just lets out this scream yeah. in her in her truck. Just, ah, and, oh, my God. This is definitely one of J.B. the Curtis's best performance. Which, yeah, it's really... It leads into the next scene at the, at the dinner the family's having for for uh, Allison's Honor uh, Society. Which the parents <sighs> finally get to meet Cameron for the first time, and they're having, like, the kind of parent talk where they're kind of grilling him, but also really... Poking fun at Allison, like how parents do embarrassing your child in front of them and such. And Allison's looking around the restaurant, hoping that her grandmother's going to show. And finally, she asks her mother, "Did you win? Did you tell, ask Grandma?" Like I said, and unconvincingly, she says, "Yes." She came by. We had a conversation, she, she, yeah. and, and I don't think she's coming by. And editing joke, she walks in the door. Uh, yeah, Lori walks right in. She like very nervous, like very socially awkward. Like she wants to everything to be happy and meeting this new boyfriend. Yeah. Like, hi, how are you? Know, I'm, the, gra- I'm the grandmother. Yeah, being kind of kooky and everything. And you think, oh, oh, oh okay, well, we'll have a good time and everything. Her son-in-law, Karen's husband, Ray, you can tell is just like, uh, ugh, it's this woman. Yeah. It's, it it's the mother-in-law, so we got to deal with her and, and everything. Like, oh, mom, why don't, you, why don't you sit down? Like, no, I'm, I'm all right. Which is, and then the next part, which is my, which is, I feel, my Archer reference, she picks up Karen's glass of wine and starts chugging it. I think it's Ray's wine because he's he's sitting closer to her. I thought she reached over like further because when she puts it back, it seems closer to Karen. Whomever it could be Ray's right, Karen's left, whatever. But she grabs this thing, starts drinking it, and when Karen goes to interrupt and say, "I thought you stopped drinking," she puts her index finger up like, "Wait a minute!" The way Archer does when he has a bottle of booze that he chugs completely. When someone tries to talk to him, he just puts his finger up to like stop them from talking until he finished consuming this fucking large amount of alcohol. I thought that that was a fucking funny thing. I, I don't find anything you're, about the scene uh, funny. But no, like, I don't. But I mean, like, I know you're not. I know you're not. At least like that little moment, like that little, like, that little beat, like, hold on. I know you're uh, not an avid Archer watcher. No, it's, it's, not, it's not that. It's the idea of a family member where you're trying to have a, a nice time out in public. <sighs> And a family member is being very inebriated and making a scene and maybe bringing up so many bad memories and you trying to console them and like, please don't do this. Not here. Not now. The, the fucked up family member shows up and they just can't keep it together. Yes. And it's the most uncomfortable scene in the movie for me because I have been there too many times to count. Yes. And, and it, it sucks. Lori sits down and you can tell she's she, she's about to have a fucking plate like concrete. She's trying so hard not to cry. Yeah. Because like, okay, okay, take it. I saw, I saw the bus. I saw, I saw the shape. I saw the shape, she even says. Yeah. 
Because she doesn't even recognize the fact that uh, no, it's not even human at this point. Like I saw. I wanted. I wanted to kill him. Like she's like trying so hard not to not to fucking. Allison's try to trying to console her and reach her, and, and Karen's when, Karen's just trying to like mom. We're trying to put this behind, and Ray's trying to back her up. For it's like no, we're putting this behind us. We're going to move on and everything. Well, when she said I wanted to kill him, Ray Ray like had enough. He's like, all right, that's that's it, that's it, that's enough. And Cameron's just like being like the dog in the room, just like walk looking back and forth, like uh, he's clearly uncomfortable. And, yeah, yeah. The Lori gets up and walks, you know, walks out you know, as they try to console her, and. As Laurie walks out, it's kind of got a slower, mo- not a slow motion, but a slower motion look to it, where she walks up to, like, you know, the the curb by the street. There's a lot of cars coming, and all the lights of the street and the headlights of the cars are out of focus in the background, so they have that, like, bright, that, like, brightness to them. Yeah, and the fact that... Like, it's, it's a big haze. Like, lo- like, like, we're feeling the emotion that Laurie's feeling of just being overwhelmed by what's going on in her mind. Right, and since the fact this is shot anamorphically widescreen, uh, not in Panavision, not with their lenses. That's another thing I wish they would have went the extra mile with. No, because at least it was the, the lenses used were by a company called Hawk, and they're like kind of like go-to anamorphic lenses to be used if you're not using Panavision le- lenses lately. Like, Scorsese's used them. Spielberg has used them because most of the time they're not used shooting Panavision cameras anymore. They're shooting Aeroflex, which is a comp- competing company, which they're cheaper to rent. And you could buy Aeroflex camera packages. I mean, do you think of the original Star Wars trilogy? Uh, a New Hope and Empire Strikes Back were shot on Panavision cameras and lenses, and they were. And Panavision doesn't sell any of them. They only rent things out to them. And so when it came to Return of the Jedi. Lucas got the idea, like, all right, we'll just buy a few Aeroflex cameras and lenses so we can always have them on staff whenever we need to go, and which is smart to do that. And, and this is another thing with this movie, I get to be full teching uh, out right now. I apologize right now. Not like a Tekken video game. I, I realized how that sounded. But this is the first movie what? shot, shot uh, digitally. Yeah. And, and it's got a different hue. It's got a very desaturated kind of uh, hue to it. It's not very popping in colors, but it still has a lot of contrast to it. And the haze and how the the lights look is that because, and like spherical lenses, like will have like lights at focus will be re- usual circles. Um, uh, anamorphics, how they have a weird kind of oval look to them, and so it's a nice aesthetic for how lenses, uh, how light reflects those kind of lenses. So that's how that moment looks like that. Yes, but as as Lori is standing there at the curb, just like wanting to break down, Allison walks out to her, puts her arm around her, and Lori like cuddles into her own grand like like. It's almost like the opposite of what it should be, where it's like the granddaughter is consoling the grandmother, you know? Yeah, and somehow Lori convinces that she's capable enough to drive herself home. Yep, so it, it cuts to Lori, you know, driving off in her truck. Ray and uh, Cameron are talking about football or whatever. And Karen's talking to Allison saying, I'm glad you saw that. Now you understand what I had to go through. And Karen describes her childhood, how she was taught to fight at a young age, taught to shoot a gun at eight years old. And we cut to... I guess flashback, flashback footage of a young you. Karen helping her mother fucking build this, like, fortified fortress. We see how, like, the little kitchen island that Lori has in her um, kitchen. Yeah. You know, like the little countertop island. It's actually a uh, uh, – there's a trap door to it. it. It's yeah. an automated trap door to a basement. That's filled with guns and ammo and supplies. And stockpiled and everything and how she did this and how when she was 12, the state came and took her away from her mother, deeming her mother unfit to be a – Parent. Very much like Terminator 2. Yeah, very much like Terminator 2. And how Karen basically tries to get a- Allison to understand this is why I stay- keep you away from your grandmother, because she's <laughs> fucked up. 
and how it has taken me so long to forget everything she how she tried to imprint her trauma onto me and how like how the relationship is almost like she she almost like she can't forgive her mother like she wants to but she feels she can't because of how much it fucked up her life and Karen is a psychologist yeah she be, eventually becomes she be, grows up to become a psychologist and, and, and that's because there are three character arcs going on in this movie. We have two positives and one negative. Uh, the one positive is Karen reconciling with her mother and becoming the woman that her mother wanted her to be, which we find out in the end. And then spoiler alert, so, yeah, spoiler alert. And then Laurie's character arc is to learn how to say I'm sorry for what she did to her daughter. That she wanted to do the best for her, but she realizes what she did was probably the wrong thing to do in the moment. But like later on, it's probably for the best for what she did. But she it pays it, off, all right. It, yeah, it, it does pay off. And the third character arc is Doctor Sartain, which we'll get into a little bit later on. So moving right along, in uh, the next scene, we are have a father and son that are driving through the country in the Midwest. Uh, talking about how the father want, loves all these hunting trips, but the son is mad because he's missing his dance class. I wasn't the biggest fan of a lot of the dialogue in this film. I thought because David Gordon Green comes from more of a comedy background, he, uh, some of the jokes feel a little forced. Maybe there's a few too many of them. Mm. The contributions of Deborah Hill are, uh, for dialogue are, are uh, greatly missed. But the thing yeah. is, it doesn't reach Rob Zombie levels of juvenile. It's kind of like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Oh, oh, purge fuck. my snorkel over flappy ass tits. Yeah, you know it doesn't. It doesn't. We don't go to those lows. But it, it, it comes off, especially later when uh, the character of Oscar, right before he's killed. Yeah, some of the things he, you know, he's saying and talking about. Oh, I had a huge chub from rubbing on those cheerleaders and them feeding. That, I, that I don't mind too much. I mean, this one here. Okay. This looks like it should be a grandfather and son. Like the age difference between the actors here. I kind of feel. That the humor, if there was one thing I would have just had little snip trimmings of it, would have been areas of the jokes and humor because it's like you're trying to establish this fearful tone, mm. but now you have this thing that just makes you laugh and you're going from two different emotional states from scared to you, but you do need levity, you do need love, and there's plenty of it. Yeah, I just don't know if you needed it as, as much. much, yeah, and like the same, like, <laughs> like, oh, like. If you want to see, like, this movie's really woke because it's like, oh, like, we're, we're bringing down gender uh, because there's a lot of gender switching in this movie because, like, the father, like, son, we're going out hunting and stuff like that, but he wants to do dance class, and then we have the... I saw an IMDb trivia that is some kind of a reference to a David Gordon Green movie Oh, about a boy wanting to go to dance class. Hmm. I don't remember what, though. Uh, okay. Um, and so while they're arguing, uh, the boy says, like, look out. And Dad, he, look out! As they... we. He almost runs over the mental pages there, piling out of the bus that's crashed off the side of the road. Smith's bus has crashed. The mental patients are running loose. And the son, the father goes to take a look to see what's going on. See if everyone's okay. The son calls the police, and but he eventually gets out to check, gun in hand. Um, comes and across an co injured cop on the ground. He says, run! You know, he pokes at him with the gun. He comes back to life in a nice, you know, startling guy. Run! Yeah. The kid runs back into the car. No, he doesn't. He goes to the bus. Oh, that's right. He investigates the bus first. Because he, he goes to the bus, gun aimed uh, down the uh, alley of like of the, the bus, the, the center, and Dr. St. Dane pops up with his hands up. Don't shoot! Just, but the scares the kid still and wings the doctor. He's in the back of the bus like he was chained up back there. Yeah, which... Okay. Should we just get to it now? Not right now. 
It's very strange. It's like, why would this guy survive this? Why would he be chained up back there? Because we see him sit down in the front, in front of the gates early on. There. Yeah, like, what Like What, what the was hell? he doing back there? Why would he be spared? Yeah. Hmm. But the kid is startled by that and shoots him in the fucking shoulder. Yeah, and he runs back to his <coughs> truck, and he starts to try and get this car started. But Michael's in the backseat, and he kills the kid. He kills the kid. Now, in the test screening version, we saw most of the kill from outside the truck. And we heard the sound effects. This version, the theatrical, and we see more of the kid being th- thrashed against the do- the door yeah. and then neck broken. It's a little more brutal. And yeah, it's showing that no one truly is safe from Michael. He he will even though he will fixate on a target and hunt them relentlessly, he will kill out of necessity. Like yeah, the truck driver in the original. Mm-hmm. He will kill whomever out of necessity. Right. I, I, it's very much what Loomis said in Halloween Four. He's here to here to kill that so and so. You know, little girl in that one, he's here to kill that person and anybody that gets in his way. Yeah, there's only, like, one person that he spares. Yeah. And, like, even then, yeah, but, like, there was a part of me, like, no, they're really going to do that, are they? But, and so. At this point, you know, we we now cut to inside a convenience store. Yeah. Uh, A police officer, a Haddonfield police officer, deputy sheriff, is playing. um, Back to the Future 2 2 pinball pinball game. Talking there about uh, with one of the guys, I guess, that works there or whatever. Yeah, like, you're never going to beat my score for it. And the kid's 911 call that he made comes over, you know, the dispatcher gets over the radio. This is, we are introduced to Will Patton, mm-hmm. Deputy Sheriff um, uh, Frank, Frank Hawkins. Hawkins. Uh, now, Frank Hawkins, we find out, is a very interesting character because he was the first responder in the apprehension of Michael Myers in 1978. Yeah. And we also find out he's later on, he stopped Dr. Loomis from killing Michael again. Right. I guess, in at least in my mental continuity of how this says his apprehension went, Loomis co- and the police caught up to Michael. Loomis was going to fucking pop a cap in his head, but Hawkins stopped him. Yeah, and probably <laughs> restrained him physically in order to stop him from doing yep. that. Hawkins... I- I still don't understand, like, why this couldn't have been... Like, another callback to Halloween 2, like, it could have been Deputy Hunt. But even though he does, that character doesn't exist. No, yeah, but, like... <laughs> We're doing so many other things that are referencing Halloween 2 in tangential ways. Yeah. I mean, that, like, other well, for Uber fans, nobody else would notice that. It would have made sense the same way having Deputy Hunt be one of the main characters in Halloween Returns would have made sense, even mm-hmm. though he, his character never existed by that continuity. Yeah. So so Hawkins uh, is the first person now to respond to this bus crash, finds everyone dead. Off including the, the father who has, like, his head bent backwards. He had his head, like... Disconnected from its neck, but not ripped off. Yeah. So you just see like this, this like the the the, the, the top of his spine pushing up against the skin of his neck, and yeah. the head like bent completely backwards. It's yeah. the, the skin is still attached, but the head has been disconnected from the neck and broken backwards. Mm. He opens up the back of the van, you know, and there's Sartain, you know, clinging to life, mm. asking, "Did he escape? Who?" And he couldn't answer because of the blood loss. Yeah. So, next day, it is now... Halloween. Halloween. With the title card. Luckily, there's no title card that says Trick or Treat. Oh, thank God. Just uh, one that says October 31st. Halloween. Halloween. Uh, we are now touring through a f- familiar-looking graveyard, and I have to give David Gordon Green and everyone this. They did a really good job recreating the cemetery from South Pasadena. Right, because we cut to Dana and Aaron invest- going through the cemetery with the caretaker <laughs> and saying, like, she and the caretaker goes over... Um, all the kind of famous cemeteries that had their famous celebrity dead people in there. It's like Haddonfield only has one, Judith Myers, and she doesn't know the history of it. And but like, luckily, she says like, um, 
this caretaker and say like, oh, at least you won Leo Satan mo- Satan's mother, and then blew your fucking head off. At least you. W- it should have been Sid Haig. Yeah. God damn, son of a fucking motherfuck bitch cunt. Yeah. I think I got time to clean this shit up. Yeah. But they did a good job. Like, re- like there's the the big tree, the big mm-hmm. wonky tree, the Sinclair tombstone they recreated, mm-hmm. which is very prominent when Loomis is touring the graveyard. Yeah. And Judith Myers tombstone recreated flawlessly that they visit. Aaron sits down and begins talking into, you know, his microphone, the mm-hmm. story of how it happened. And it's cut with the actual footage of Michael's murder of Judith from the original movie. Yeah. And as the caretaker's looking around at the end of this, she sees uh, a shape standing behind a tree wearing familiar hospital clothes. Mm-hmm. Michael's out. He has come home. And he's following them because he knows what they have. Yeah. He, they have something he wants. Right. Now, in the cut we saw... At one of these points, there was a scene that was cut out between Dana and Aaron. Yes, they're back at their motel. We saw earlier with them going over all the court documents of the, uh, of the Myers case, the babysitter murders, as they're known as. Dana's in the shower, yeah. and Rian Reese is a very beautiful woman, mm-hmm. and I have no objections to a shower scene with her. Even though she was not, we did not see anything. No. She just, she's a very lovely lady. Um, we, hear, we hear somebody enter the bathroom. Heavy breathing, and through this clearish shower curtain, we see... Uh, uh, a shape wearing a familiar mask. Yeah, it's very much like Hitchcock's psycho at this yep. point. He pulls the shower curtain away. There's someone wearing the Myers mask. And he says, boo, it was Aaron who's, you know, wearing it to yeah. scare her. Mm. Furthering, and this is why I love these two characters, because these two characters represent so well the people that just don't get the danger that Michael Myers is. They, yeah. they think, okay, he's contained. It's no big deal, whatever. They mm. joke about it, you know. And this is another example of that where it's like look i'm wearing this shitty old 40 year old man and she even says take that disgusting thing off yeah and gets in the shower with her and they proceed i guess fuck it. but that fuck in the shower or whatever yeah but that was the one scene cut out that shows that they are just you know co-workers they are lovers yeah so but we do cut to a scene that's in both cuts where they're at the uh gas station well was it was it first uh hawkins and the sheriff in the hospital with sartain uh, yes. Yep, Sartain is now in the hospital. The doctors have been saying he lost a lot of blood, mm-hmm. and he's been coming in and out. And we were introduced to the new uh, sheriff, I forget. I, uh, the, sheriff. the actor's name is Omar Dorsey. Mm-hmm. Uh, sheriff Barker, sheriff complete Barker. complete with black cowboy hat. Which, uh, say he owns that cowboy hat. I really like the, the costume design on, on the, the sheriff right here. Now... I'm kind of get. I get very fucking mixed signals from this guy because Hawkins points out his list of uh, patients, like the list of people that were on the uh, the bus, and you know, to go with the comedy, fucking uh, Sheriff Barker says, "Oh, three of them were found chasing butterflies in the woods. Old yeah. hands chasing butterflies. Two of them went to the library, checked their emails, mm-hmm. and uh, Hawkins says shows the one name that he has highlighted on there that's missing, mm-hmm. Michael Myers." Michael murders. A, a, Michael A. Myers, not yep. Michael M. Myers, like in Halloween 4. Yep. You know, um, 40 years to the day, babysitter murders. Show it, And the sheriff, he starts to get concerned. But then he kind of just laughs it off for some reason. I, You know, I kind of don't get what it is. Like, he makes a joke about Hawkins catching him or something. Yeah. It's so weird, and this is there's multiple times in this where you I kind of don't really know where the fucking sheriff is coming from. Yeah, I, I guess the idea is that they were trying to that the fact that Hanfield itself has moved on, and the only reason the, this memory is endured 
is by people like uh, Laurie and Frank that are clinging on to this event that happened 40 years ago. Yes, and him even saying, like, what am I going to do, cancel Halloween? But he said, it, like, I, I don't really get the sheriff in this one. I don't really get what they were going for. Like, does he not take this seriously? No, he does not at first. And it's not until like, and not until later on when we see him for the second time he realizes this is not this is a situation that really should be taken seriously because this guy is sixty one years old like how much damage can this person really do despite what we've seen at the bus if he's not been told exactly what happened to the guards and, and everybody. Well, I know in the the third time we see him, the last time we actually see him, when uh, later on after Michael has struck mm-hmm. and he wants Hawkins to, you know, skip it ahead a little, wants Hawkins to take Sartain with him. He's like, you think it's good to take an injured civilian with me? He's like, this guy knows Michael better than ever, better than anyone else. He almost has this like, yeah, we're going to catch this guy and, you know, do shit with him kind of thing. Not like intent on fucking stopping him. It's like, what do you need this injured civilian for? You're just trying to stop him, right? Yeah, By any means I, necessary. Yeah, but maybe Sartain kind of like told him like, like what what could be done if we do capture him. Yeah, and, that's and why like, I don't. It's like, more about the Sartain plot that okay. That's why I don't get the whole the sheriff through the whole. I feel like the Sartain plot kind of ruins the sheriff. Yeah, we'll get to the Sartain plot. Don't worry. So after that, we get to the gas station. Aaron and Dana have finished. I believe have finished their business and are preparing to leave town. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dana has to go to the bathroom. Yeah, and in the background, out of focus, we see a. a, a car that was once owned by a father and son in the woods pull up pull up with someone inside that looks kind of familiar who gets out and walks into the walks garage into the garage dana goes where's the loo the what the, the bathroom oh it's right that round back dana goes to the bathroom and as she walks away from the cashier's <laughs> desk we see into the the garage bay door window michael fucking pounding on this dude pounding on someone in there so Dana goes in to use the bathroom. She investigates. All the toilets are pretty much disgusting and full of shit. Yeah, and like, this, but this, all done off camera, so it's just like we're just watching the reaction ooh, off her, her face. She, she's priceless. I love her. Like this dainty English woman in this disgusting gas station restaurant. Right, and she ta- she takes the furthest one away from the entrance, and that's where she's doing her business. It's the cleanest toilet. Now, this whole gas station has been pointed out as a Halloween four reference from yeah. Penny's Diner. Mm. I've seen people say it's laid out exactly the same. If you look at it, it is not. If anything, it's it's mirrored. The bay door, the garage bay doors are on the fucking left side of this building. Where yeah. before they were on it's the, on the right. right side. The ice machine is more towards the opposite side than really in the middle. I think it's the idea behind it. Yes, but there are many things like this. This rest stop is definitely an H four nine, and the fact that she's in, in the bathroom. bathroom about to be stalked by Michael mm. is a H two O nod to the mother. What was it, Claudia? I think it was. Yeah. Who, who her and her daughter were stalked, uh, stalked in a rest stop bathroom and had their car stolen. But and they how, were killed. And how Michael goes to every stall is a Halloween 6 reference. Yep. So Aaron goes to pay for the gas, but can't find the cashier. Nope. At this point, though... The audience sees yeah. that the cashier's had his jaw ripped off. Like, smashed off and, you know, just... Uh, yeah, like it's just like the excess skin from where his bomb jaw is supposed to be. Aaron goes into the garage and sees the mechanic... Um, missing a suit. He's just like a set of coveralls. He's yeah, like, we can't see his head, but we see a long puddle of blood and a dirt and a bloody hammer next to him. Yep, a rubber mallet too. Rubber. So he really would have had to put that. You know how much force he would have had to put in there for a rubber mallet to do that kind of fucking damage. I imagine he incapacitated him with his hands and then used the mallet to finish him off. Probably, but in the meanwhile, there's someone in the bathroom stalking Dana. Someone wearing a set of coveralls and black boots. <sighs> this is unnerving. He opens up each stall one at a time. It's very quiet. There's no music in this. And this is one of the cooler things. Like, this really goes back to the whole 
stalking with no music, like letting letting absolute silence be your atmosphere. Yeah. I kind of feel there was a few moments throughout the movie where they held on that silence a little too long. Some kind of music would have been good. If it were the classic, like, stalking music, like um, when he's stalking through this, like, bump. not that stalking music, the slow stalk, like, the, like when he's stalking Judith in the beginning. Okay. And when Laurie discovers her friends are dead right before he strikes. Mm. Having either music go into quiet or quiet go into music, you know, sort of split it a little, mm. I felt would have helped in some more scenes. But anywho... You know, Dana's starting to get a little nervous, and when he tries to open her stall, excuse me, there's somebody in here. Which he stops, and he backs away. But he won't leave. No, but he, he steps up to the door again, and he reaches his hand over and drops the teeth that drops were formerly a, of the cashier. Drops a handful of teeth. Now, I've watched trailer react, because this was in the trailer. Yeah, that was like the first big moment of the trailer. I've watched people's trailer reactions, and they had a minute where they're like, what is that? Oh, my God, is that? Oh, my God. At my, mo- my mom's best friend watching, and she's like, oh, you know. Everyone's reaction was of that. And Michael starts br- trying to break through the bathroom door, at which point Dana pulls up her pants, tries crawling under the stalls. Michael get is following her. Yeah. Go gets through the stall, goes to grab her leg. She actually, I think Rhea and Reese in real life accidentally hit her head on the fucking toilet bowl. It looks legit. It looks legit, and the kid just kept it in. Like, of course you use that. Poor lady took an ass kicking. And then that's when Aaron kicks her in the door with a crowbar in hand. Yep. She's Michael, and he's scared shitless Michael goes to attack. Hits him in the head with this crowbar. He does get one good wallop in. Doesn't fucking phase him. And he gets hit and then just grabs Aaron and who proceeds to smash his head into the brick wall. Brick wall and then the stall itself that uh, that, uh, Dana's in. That she's relocked relocked in and eventually just throws him into the corner. Where he dies. Yeah. And then when uh, Dana has grabbed the crowbar that has fallen on the floor and she's armed herself with that. Crying hysterically. And Michael... Breaks in the stall, grabs um, Dana with both hands, lifts her off her feet, and just breaks her neck with his bare hands. Chokes her at first and breaks her neck. And then slow motion shot of the trunk opening with music cue in the back and Michael taking out the mask. And, and he's he an appropriate like, use of slow motion. He almost like looks at it for a moment. I swear it looked like he stroked his thumb against it like, oh, like my press, my press off. Yes. Like Gollum. For slowly putting the mask back on and closing the trunk door. Like, he's complete now. He's the shape again. Right. And this is the final we get to see a full front-on shot with uh, Michael. Because every time we've seen Michael without the mask, we've seen him from, uh, from the side. The long lens is being used. So, like, he's out of focus and obscured. And so now we finally get to see him from the front. And now he's complete. Yep. And actually, I think that we fucked up. And this scene was the one that came after Hawkins' thing. But... Mm. Uh, Lori's at home preparing breakfast, and there's a news report on about the bus crash. Originally, they don't – she's listening to it, and once they say prison bus, you just see her look up from preparing her breakfast. And I, I can imagine she's probably making hangover uh, uh, food and oh, drink yeah. right there for sure. And just fucking, you know, like you could tell like when she heard the word prison bus and how it slowly zooms in on the camera saying this bus – it zooms in on the TV – Saying this, but to the point where you could see the fucking red, green, and blue fucking subpixels, yeah, of the television, and saying this was transferring patients from Smith's Grove Sanitary. Most of them are accounted for. At that moment, Lori begins arming herself. She yeah. opens up her kitchen island to the trap door, puts a gets a fucking you know uh, hunting knife and like a belt pouch, arms herself with it, guns, everything. Yeah, she she loads all the arms that she has at her dispo- at her disposal. 
because in her backyard, we've seen that she's got mannequins that she's been using for target practice. That's one thing that we also forgot to mention after she visits with Alan is that it cuts to mannequin like Allison. Allison, my God. Damn. Why do you keep saying Alan? Alan. I don't know. I work with a guy named Alan. Oh. And so, yeah, she's been and she's like her backyard is littered with these and they are kind of spooky as it is. Like clothing store mannequins. Yeah. And they all have been riddled with bullets and then she's been making herself a dead eye over the years. Yep. And so now she's prepared and then we uh, cut to Karen's house. Yes. This is after uh, Michael is once again, you know, complete. Karen comes home, notices her house is, you know, something's amiss about it. Asking, you know, Ray, Allison, are you guys home? Because the back door is open at this point. Yep. Ray walks in. He's wondering the same thing. Oh, who left the door open? They get closer to the staircase, and all of a sudden, Lori comes down. Bang! You're dead. <laughs> Mom, what are you doing here? You have no security system, Karen. You know how e- your back door was what? Was, wasn't was locked or your window was what? You know how easy it is to break in here? I don't know if it's your ignorance or your stupidity, but I'm trying to save you. Yeah. And, and, and they're just, like, totally writing off. Like, she's really become a paranoid person at this point, and she, like, needs serious psychiatric help. They're trying to get rid of but she says, the bus crashed. What bus? The prison bus. Michael escaped. I have a plan. We have to get Allison, meet at my house. We'll all be safe. And she says, Mom, I'm not going anywhere. You need help. You are not welcome in this home until you get it. The world is not an evil, dark place. It is filled with love and understanding. Yeah. And she has a gun, and Ray's trying to get, like, this is my house. Laurie, put the gun down. And she, like, almost points it at him because he's trying to take away the gun. Yeah. So as they kick her out, she says, keep the gun. We don't want the gun. You take and the gun. slam the door in her face. Yep. At uh, which point, Hawkins and, you know, the, the gas station has now become a crime scene. Hawkins yeah. sees everything, and he just has that, he has that Sonny Corleone moment of, like, son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> he sees the dead bodies. They wrap him up. He goes out there. He sees Lori and the crowd of people that have arrived around the crime scene. Yeah. They share a moment. Share a moment showing that they know each other. Because Fra- as we find out, Frank was the first responder on the scene. They talk to the sheriff, and it's their worst fears have come true. Michael Myers is back. Right. Frank sees Laurie walk away, and he says, there's a reason we're supposed to be afraid of this night. Which I, I love that line. That's something that's just because it builds into the mythos of the idea of, like, the idea of Halloween, yeah, it was supposed to ward off evil spirits. Yep. And the reason why we wore masks is, like, to be to scare them and everything. So, yeah. And at this point, do we cut to night? I believe we now cut to night. There's children running around, trick-or-treating. Everything's happy as it is. Two little boys are walking down the street trick-or-treating. One of them has a boombox over his shoulder. This whole next scene has a slew of Halloween 2 references. Yes. And they bump into a figure. Yeah. Oh, sorry, mister. And it's Michael. He's he's back. He's in Haddonfield. Right. Now, this goes into very much like how... The opening of the original Halloween was a very long take, and Halloween 2 has does several other versions of the long take of just, like, long steady cam shots throughout the movie. This one does have... I, a few I only cuts noticed, into it. I only, noticed, I only noticed one, but there may have been more. Yeah. Michael, he looks to his right after the kids bump into him and sees in the backyard in this, like, back shed, this woman, you know, coming out of it. So he starts walking. And as this, we have the, 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 the track that was officially released by Sacred Bones Records, The Shape Returns. Yeah playing and the little nursery rhyme we hear to the, i heard it to the left of the theater mm-hmm. the little nursery rhyme that the kids say at the ending of the opening credits mm-hmm. playing there like the, and this whole scene is a full tour de force to show that michael's back he goes back to the shed there's a single hammer sitting there he picks it up now we cut to the camera being inside the house that's the only cut i noticed mm-hmm. michael walks in he walks in and the camera shows in the doorway to the kitchen the lady 
a lady in a bathrobe with a hair and curlers. Very much like ham, Mr. Elrod. Making a ham sandwich out of a big block of ham. Mm. You're Mrs. Elrod. She walks away further into the kitchen. Michael walks in, pursues her. Now, James Jude Courtney, he fucking nailed Michael Myers' feel. Mm. His All the motion that Nick Castle brought to it, he mm. fully fucking captured. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, he studied cats a lot. Yeah, that was like kind of like his inspiration to be able to be so selective and so precise in their movements. The sleekness. He, you know, he studied the way like, – because cats are nature's ultimate hunters. He yeah. studied how his cat walks, how like lions and everything, mm. and just the sleekness that cats have, you know. He walks in, but the camera doesn't follow. We hear the disturbance of this woman yeah, being we're looking, bludgeoned. Yeah, we're, like, we're looking through the doorway into the kitchen. Yep. We just hear the bludgeoning and like – Chairs and other things in, in the kitchen being over. knocked over. He walks back towards the doorway, just like throws the hammer down and picks up the butcher knife she was carving the ham with. Yeah. W- walks away through the front of the house we, where the camera fo- follows. We follow and we see the aftermath of the woman's dead on the laying against the table as she's been bludgeoned to death. And we follow Michael through the house and oh, into the. We hear something first. We hear a baby in a crib. We hear a tiny infant baby crying. Now, this is where I'm like. No. The whole for the test screening, the whole audience was. They all had this. Oh, and there was no. gas because Moment. we've seen him kill a child before, and like, will he kill a baby? He walks up to the crib, goes to walk past it, stops for a minute, but then continues on out the front of the house. Yeah, this scene really fucking hit me this time around because it's like this. This whole movie is predicated on the trauma that these women have faced, that Lori has, mm-hmm. and how it's it's affected her whole family. Now I think of, like, this poor baby, like, this child will never grow up to know its mother because of this fucking one random act of violence by this monster. Yeah. And as an audience member, you, like, want to see this monster destroyed even more now. Mm -hmm. Not just as revenge for what he's done to Lori and all the people, Mm -hmm. but just for, like, this whole thing where it's just, like, this woman just making a sandwich. And now, like, in a split second, this child has lost its mother. Yeah, and I noticed something that in the Comic-Con panel for Halloween, that's something they were stressing – a lot. There's, this is a random act of violence that is skewing the idea of like it's all connected. It's all about family, and there is something called product killer and process killer when it comes to serial killer classification or act focus, who kill quickly and it's just for the kill itself. But then there is process focus, which kills slowly. So it was like. Every little moment is very specific in the way of doing it, and this is very much yeah we do and like because especially a pair of cops that happen later on like that's there's at least one that gets it's definitely processed what he's done to him, but for the most part especially in this scene it's like it's this is like forty years of frustration of I likened it to a caged animal being let loose yeah. And he's finally getting back into the groove of killing people. As the camera continues to follow him through the house, out the, out front, the front door, door down the block a little bit further to couple another house. Down. There's a, a young couple getting ready to leave. The the male who's about good drive just has to run in real quick because they're dressed as a doctor and nurse. He forgot his stethoscope. The female goes to get in the car, but she looks at what's walking towards her. And, and she's like, uh... she's like, like, has this almost like, can we fucking go now? Yeah. You know, he the boyfriend comes out. They drive away. But Michael looks at another house of trick or treaters just leaving and sees another young woman alone. And that's when we, we follow him up the porch as he goes around. But we stop at the front window looking into that living room. And we see his reflection in the glass. This lady is on the phone. Another Halloween 2 reference. She's on the phone with someone named Sally, yeah. like Alice in the beginning, yeah. talking about things that have been going on. And as Michael leaves, 
the camera doesn't follow again. We see this woman walking through the house. We see Michael go around the house. We see Michael go around the house because we can see through the house and to the windows to the right of the house. We see him go by and then his shadow against the the siding of the house next to it go by. And this woman come in, kind of nervously pull her shades down like she's been told of what happened. And as she pulls her shades down and is nervously looking out the window, Michael walks into the house behind her, grabs her by the back of her ponytail, smashes her fucking head on, like, the windowsill, and sticks his knife through her neck. Yeah. And walks away. When I first saw this, this scene didn't sit that well with me because Michael's M.O., if we're going by now the first movie, which is all we have to go by, Michael's M.O. is killing out of necessity to accomplish a goal. He killed the truck driver because he had to get home, you know? Mm. He's, but his his biggest thing is fixating on a target, stalking them throughout, you know, the day, and yeah. slowly descending on them. This random acts of violence thing isn't really his M.O. Now, for a moment, take what I said before about shooting this in South Pass. Mm-hmm. Take what I said before about having the scene between Laurie and Allison changed to be at the Myers house, the new Myers house, where it now sits, you know? Yeah. Imagine for a minute if this scene, the first house he went into where he killed killed the lady with the the hammer, if he was standing at that block because that he was trying to get home, and now he sees that home is gone. Mm. And he followed this woman into this new house that is standing on his sacred ground, and he killed her as a, like, he's not just a caged animal let loose doing these random acts of violence. He's a caged animal trying to get home, and now he finds out home is gone, and there's these usurpers living where he's supposed to. And he fucking just, you know, snaps and goes on a killing spree. I felt that having it, but you having it set in South Pass with that one scene changed a little bit earlier, but shoot this one exactly as you possibly can on this, on this different block mm-hmm. would have lended the scene so much more context mm-hmm. that I felt it was missing. That's possible. I mean, I, I, I could see that happening. That would have been something cool. Yeah. The, the, sort of the epilogue to the uh, Myers house subplot. Right. That Michael came home, but home is gone. Mm. And he's going to get his, and he's going to destroy whoever's here. Right. And because then, the, the way it leaves off originally is like, does he just go from house to fucking house just killing people? How many people ended up dead by the end of the night, you know? Where did yeah. he start? Did he take a break after two? Mm. You know? But, okay. With what we have now, how do you feel about now? Do you still have the issues? I still feel it would have been better with the context, but it's definitely... I I think the fact that I likened it to a caged animal being let loose has made me accept it more. Okay. I feel a lot of my complaints from the original test screening or nitpicks from the original test screening I've sort of come to accept because of the the, the, uh, end result as a whole. Right. Like, it is is greater than the sum of its parts. I think that's the right words? Yes. (sighs) So... After this scene, we're now at the Haddonfield High School dance. Yeah. You know, the big Halloween dance. Everybody's dancing, having fun. Uh, Cameron and Allison are reverse Bonnie and Clyde, where she is Clyde, he is Bonnie. Yeah. Dressed up as a, as a lady. Right. And what was it? Uh, Everybody's partying, having fun. Oscar's hanging out with all the cheerleaders, having a good time. And he's playing a, a vampire. Yep. So he's literally his his costume literally sucks the life out of what's going on around him. Kind of <laughs> like how he leeches off of uh, Cameron and Allison. Yep. So Allison and uh, Cameron are dancing, having a good time. Her phone rings, and yeah. Cameron seems to get really pissed off when her phone rings, and she wants to take a phone call. Like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. She's not paying attention to you for a minute. Right, and but he is also him and Oscar have been drinking while they're there. Well, uh, we don't know that just yet. Yeah. But it's Vicky. She's on the phone. Vicky got stuck babysitting. So Alan, 
Alice, Alan, god damn it. What the fuck, dude? Allison answers it. I don't know why, because Andy Matichak is way more beautiful than the one co-worker I know. He's a fucking old fart. But. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm talking fast. I'm negating syllables. Mm. But uh, Allison is talking to Vicky. Vicky's pissed off. She has to babysit. She wishes she was there, but she's going to have Dave come over later and smoke and do some alakazam. Yeah. She's babysitting a young man named uh, Julian. Yeah. And one of the things I definitely have to give this movie like Rob Zombie's Halloween and the original is that they did a damn good job when it came to hiring child actors. Yeah, okay. He's fantastic. I think he's hilarious and he's got a career ahead of him. It's a little young man named Julian played by Jibral Nentambu. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Okay. He's just sitting there, you know, they're watching a the movie together. He's clipping his toenails. Yeah, out, uh, out in the living room, which is gross. Out in the living room. And saying, I know you guys are going to come over here and smoke some weed. Yeah. Like, no, Alakazam, it's a magic trick. I know it, Alak- it's weed. You used to be my favorite. Yeah, and, yeah, and, I, did, and uh, I babysit ten other kids that are better than you. And they're a whole bunch of, they're a bunch of fucking losers. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, this is to the small child. Yeah, and they're cursing at him. But I feel like, I can see where this is, like, the comedy goes too far for people in this yeah. scene. I don't have a problem with it, but I can understand what people would be like, oh. I think is- if they kind of cut it off after this whole Scene that would have been better if they sort of if they scaled it back after because right now things are still pretty calm. Yeah, Michael, even though Michael is striking, yeah, they're and, unaware of it. They're unaware of it. He's striking and moving on and getting away with it. Um, he says, "How oh, my babysitter used to read me a bedtime story," and she says, "Tells him how it's time to go to bed." So she tucks him in at night. But they reconcile. They're like, "You know what? Uh, you're actually my favorite kid." It's like this. Yeah, it's like the lovable argument between two people that care about you. Like when we fight. Exactly. When we take jabs at each other on the air, but we really love each other. Yes. And she's like, you know what? I like you too. She closes, she closes, she leaves the door open, a little jar, so the light is filtering in, and he's in his bedroom. Dave comes over, but does scare her when she's cleaning a knife, and she goes out to take out the garbage. Wait, in the meanwhile, Lori and Hawkins are fucking ch- patrolling the streets. Lori has her police separately. CB radio separately looking for this. Um... Yeah, uh, Vicky's, you know, she's washing dishes, being the good babysitter, cleaning a butcher knife yeah. very ominously. Goes outside to clean the garbage. We heard a heavy breathing mm-hmm. as we were introduced to the scene. Goes outside, and she's startled by Dave, who who uh, is dressed up as a cowboy with, like, one of those little, like, horse head on a stick. Yeah. Like Pepe from uh, WCW. <laughs> when Chavo Guerrero went insane and he had his horse named Pepe that Perry Saturn threw into a wood chipper. Somebody uh, threw it. Who threw it? Was it no, Raven? No, it was Raven. It was Raven. Because I love the one where he, he throws the wood chipper and, like, it gets stuck in his head. And he's like, what do I do? Pat Push Pat it harder? I'm dying. No, they did that in WWE with Saturn when he had Moppy. Yes, it was Moppy. Oh, my, my apologies. <laughs> Moppy! <laughs> I lost it. So that, Dave, came up, that clip came up online recently, and I lost it at that. Dave came in, shows uh, Vicky his new tattoo that he got, which we don't see just yet. Vicky is a very aggressive personality who will tell Dave to shut the fuck up at a moment. Yeah. Like, and she sees that, and she's like, you're so getting dry, dry fuck tonight. tonight. Like, Virginia Gardner is an amazingly beautiful woman. Yeah. I would much rather wet fuck her. Yes. But I will take a dry fucking. Yeah. Or even I, just to make out on the couch. I mean, like. She's a lovely woman. I mean. I guess I, I've been in a relationship more, uh, more recently than you. Uh, I will say that things like that we're saying to each other, yes. I can say that that is very current. Uh, that, that They could say that to each other. I know, like, some people are like, oh, the kids, like, 
I've seen people who curse like, what kids talk like this? I'm like, I kind of did, and I'm only a few years away from uh, out from being these kids' yeah. ages. So I'm like, I don't. Smart. Yeah, so I, 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 it's long about saying, yeah, you're old. Um, so the two of them go. They start making on the couch, but all of a sudden we hear some kind of creaking. Vicky's like, notices it. Dave says, it's probably just Julian taking a shit or something. Yeah. But she's like, no, go take a look. You know, so they go by the basement. Stairs. Julian comes running down. Holy shit, there's a man outside my door. You know, he's stalking me. He's heavy breathing. I heard this breathing. He's they stuck. don't take him seriously. But they Vicky... send Dave up there. <laughs> like, like, go get, let Dave get killed. And the Vicky's like, nope, nope. Shut I'll... up, Dave. Yeah, exactly. You go... <laughs> Vicky goes up to put him in bed and check everything out. When she initially goes into the room, uh, Julian stays on the stairs looking into his room. Vicky's out of sight, and she pretends, to, and she we hear her cry out for help, like, Mister, you got to get out of the house. You must get out of here. Oh, my God. Blah. And yeah, she, she, she startles Julian out the doorway like a joke. Yeah, and she's like, yeah, huh, real funny. And so she puts Julian back to bed. Dave goes out to uh, light up a joint, <laughs> and he goes into the garage behind the house, and there's a, a motorcycle, which he starts up. For no reason, and knocks Just over. Just he thinks it's cool, and he's high as a kite, so he knocks his nice motorcycle over. He like doesn't pick dude. it up, what an asshole. He tries picking it up, but it's too heavy for his stoned ass. Dumbass. And so... She tucks him back into bed, and he asks, can you close the closet door, like in the trailer? Yeah. And she goes uh, to try it. It's stuck. Won't close. Won't close. Goes to, she opens the door to see what's what's obstructing the from it closing. It's and Michael. Michael's in there. He strikes. He slashes her across the arm. Yeah. Julian runs out, races down the stairs. But he says, like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. And that's a little. Like, his audience laughed. That's, it, it's so token black guy, though. That's the, that's the thing that pains me. It's like, come on now. If he just screamed, I think that would have made that moment a little bit better. If he screamed, like, oh, my God. Like, let's see, like, like let's see this child actor express real fear, you know? Yeah. Because he's, imp- he's impressed the hell out of me so far. Right. And, and everybody Vic- else. And Vicky tries to sleep, but she slips because she's, uh, she's, she's wearing socks, socks on the hardwood floor. floor. Which I have done too many, no, too many times to count. <sighs> me too. Um, and Dave comes back in as he hears the screaming. Julian runs out the door to the nearest neighbor's house to call the police. police. Uh, Dave grabs a knife and heads upstairs as we hear Vicky stabs. We see Vicky stabbed several times by Michael. He drags her in by the foot, stabs her, and, and pretty much kills her. Yeah. So, cut to Lori and Hawkins. They hear over the police dispatcher on the CB radio, domestic disturbance at this. So, both of them speed off in pursuit. Right. And Lori pulls like a Walker, Texas Ranger, but doing a 180 in her pickup yeah. truck. <laughs> Hawkins arrives first, enters the house. Police, domestic disturbance. Goes upstairs, sees blood all over the place. Like, mm. oh, shit. Walks into Julian's bedroom. And, and sees a, a figure. It's a very familiar sight. Of a figure with a ghost uh, sheet over with, with two, two eye poked, poked out, sitting there. With and the pumpkin that Dave brought that we didn't mention before is now in the fish uh, tank. In the fish tank. Now the last time in this current continuity of of Halloween seventy eight and Halloween twenty eighteen, the last time there was a figure wearing a bed sheet like a ghost. Who was under it? Michael. Yeah. So oh shit! It's Hawkins. He's very slowly approaching it, kind of terrified. At which point, Lori pulls up. And she gets out, and she sees the kids. Some kids wearing silver shamrock yep, masks. a couple of trick-or-treaters running by, dressed in silver shamrock masks. And actually, in the credits, it is fucking credited Halloween 3 silver shamrock masks, courtesy of Universal Studios. Nice! <laughs> yeah. And She's saying, running out screaming, go home, get inside! Looking like a crazy person. Like a crazy person, brandishing a revolver. Walking around. Cut back to Hawkins in the room. He pulls the sheet away. It's Vicky's dead body. Right. He put the sheet over to distract her. And then we cut to Lori's point of view. She sees a figure looking at uh, – she sees Hawkins' figure looking at Vicky now, in what's one fun- window. What's funny, too, is that I, I watched a lot of 
I watched a lot of YouTube videos of people doing trailer breakdowns and analysis. Is there two killers? Yes, there's one. Second stalker, question mark, you know, clickbait. Yeah. And a lot of these I watched, and I'm just like, I'm laughing, laughing at the TV. I know what happens. I know what happens. I know what happens. And truthfully, it made a ton of sense. We probably could have figured that out ourselves because it's like, okay, he has like the little, uh, what is it, the the lights that go up on your ceiling to make stars. Yeah. And you see that through the window. Mm-hmm. And that we see in the tra- the first trailer, Hawkins investigate that same room. So it's like, wow, that was kind of obvious. How did yeah. I miss that? But Lori looks, she sees Hawkins. She looks two windows down and she sees... She sees the figure that has haunted her forever, Michael, standing in the in the window, mm-hmm. staring back at her, tilting, tilting his, head. his head. And that's Nick Castle's that, cameo. That is confirmed as Nick Castle's cameo. I don't think they've officially said every scene he's in, if there are more, but that is the one that we have confirmed. Right. Nick Castle, and he's doing the famous head tilt. Which, for some reason, is, is the actor that we have we have here, where James Hugh Courtney was good. But for some reason, just that head tilt, just the right enunciation of it, like, oh, that is the shape we've been missing for the past 40 years. They mostly kept Nick Castle's cameo, or at least cameos, if there are more than one, to stuff that's very obstructing because he is, like, several inches shorter. And he's in his 70s. And he's in his 70s. But And also, if you look at fucking the actual masks that were made for both of them, because there was one made specifically for Nick Castle. Yeah, because their heads are different sizes. There are kind of differences. I mean, in the shape, in the, in like the, the shape of the face and even in like the hair, like James Jude Courtney's mask is very slick back the hair. Very much like Halloween too. Yes. Interestingly enough. And, and, and he especially looks like that near the end. Yeah. Nick um, Castle's is a little more bushy. And it's funny too, because uh, when it was announced that Nick Castle was coming back, people were complaining, Oh, is he going to be able to walk again? Is he going to be able to do the walk? And Sean Clark uh, of Horror's Hollow Grounds, who's also Nick Castle's, he's an agent for a lot of people in horror. That's funny. And a, and a convention organizer. He's really, he's Sean Clark is fucking awesome. He's what keeps a lot of the horror community together. Mm-hmm. I hope I can meet him one day. Yeah. Um, he posted a fucking hilarious video on Twitter yeah. proving that Nick Castle can still walk. It's Nick Castle wearing a Michael Myers mask just walking slowly on a treadmill. <laughs> like he's some decrepit fucking old... But no, I understand what people were talking about. Mm-hmm. My fear was that in 1978, it's been, Nick Castle said a million times, John Carpenter said a million times in an interview, Nick Castle was given pretty much minimal direction. Yeah. The idea of, the sh- of Michael Myers as the shape was so minimalist and so simple. Nick even asked, like, Nick's not an actor. He was he was hired there just because he showed up to see what was going on. He was yeah. paid $25 a day. Yeah. His and his instruction. Okay, what's my motivation for a scene? Okay, your motivation is to walk from point A to point B. Mm. And Nick's just natural rhythm that he has about himself. If it comes from being the son of a former Fred Astaire choreographer, mm. he's given this minimal direction, but made amazingness out of it unintentionally. Yeah, he made an amazing performance by accident almost. The fear I understand is that now that this is a forty-year-old franchise that's been established and psychoanalyzed and dissected and 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 uh, examine so much, would he come back to this role and overthink it mm. and think, okay, Michael Myers is now this established character, not just some fucking B-movie character I was playing where I was just told, okay, walk here. Yeah. Now tilt your head. Now sit up without using your hands. Then, mm. You know, these like physical challenges, mm. would he come back and overthink it? As it turns out, he wouldn't even be given the chance to overthink it because his role was very minimal. And according to Nick, he, he just did everything same way with a minimal direction. And especially he did record audio of him breathing in the mask. Yes. All the ADR you hear of Michael, all the 
sound you hear of Michael's heavy, famous heavy breathing was done by Nick Castle. He Which, was, like, it, it could have been uh, James Hugh Courtney, but, like, you know what? I think just the authenticity of cool. it. Yeah. I would. I, I am hoping that there is another cameo in there kind of tucked away. Because Nick also, when you're shooting these movies at night, you're shooting all through the night. Nick is 70 years old. He's not going to stay up all fucking night. No. Grandpa's got to get to bed. Yeah. No offense, Nick, but well, he just turned 71 last month. Right. But, you know, I, I just wish we would have had one Nick Castle pr- pursuit. Yeah. Just one, one, because there were a couple of scenes where you see Michael slowly walk mm-hmm. in pursuit of people. I wish we just would have had one. Right. With Nick. And so Lori sees um, the shape of the window and she, she, she looks down the barrel and fires. Fires a shot. She shot a mirror, and we see glass shatter. It was Michael looking at her from the street through a mirror in that room. Yeah. And she immediately fucking panics. And, be, and Hawkins looks up, sees Michael walking out of that room down the stairs, yells, Michael! Fires a shot of his own, but misses. Yeah. Michael walks out the back door around the house. Lori's now in pursuit around the house. Hawkins is in pursuit around the house. Sees what happened to Dave. He's been pinned to the wall with a knife in the back of the, the neck. In his neck. It. And we see his tattoo. His tattoo was the... That current day, October 31st, 2018, yeah. 10-31-18. Lori mm. gets around, and now in the in the test screen, does she yell, Michael, like in pursuit? I, I think so. They cut it out this time. She just very quickly walks around, sees him, and shoots Michael in the shoulder. Mm. At which point, Michael, you know, I guess stumbles, falls away. But then uh, Hawkins comes up right behind her, and she turns around really fast and accidentally hits him in the face with her gun. And he's like, God like, damn it, God for- damn it, Frank! They're almost like an old married couple. They say, Lori, what the hell are you doing here? Frank, he's back. He's like, I know. And yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm surprised they didn't shoot each other at this, at this point. What makes me glad about this is that there is another person that understands, you know, what Lori's feeling right now. That, right. F- Frank Hawkins was there. Yeah, and I feel like it almost it hints at the fact that since they have a history, like, were they an item since then? I don't know. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think so, but I think that they're definitely two people that have kind of, like, understood each other yeah and so we cut to later on a little bit later when vicky's being put into the yeah bag of, the aftermath the police scene yeah and all the cops are investigating of uh, the house and this is when the sheriff comes in with dr sartine yep he said guess who just woke up dr sartine back where's michael and, and you know trying to talk some sense into each other and and um that's where, where Sartain finally gives his side of the story. They sit down with Sartain, talks about how Michael overpowered the driver mm-hmm. and crashed the bus. He freed out all the inmates and everything. And, uh, you know, at which point the sheriff and Hawkins just walk away and just say, you sit still. But I was already sitting still. <laughs> like, uh, the sheriff, he wants Hawkins to fucking take this guy with him. So he takes Sartain with him on his pursuit. And Hawkins is like, no, I don't want to take a wounded civilian. This is where I don't really get what the sheriff's idea is. I guess the idea would be that since Sartain knows so much about Michael, even more so than presumably Laurie and Hawkins, that he spent so many time with him, that he would know where Michael would go and how to deal with him if he could be apprehended. But at this point, it's like... You, it's alluded to. It's not spelled out. I, I feel like you don't need him to apprehend him. Because it's like, look at the last time a psychiatrist involved. Hawkins had to stop him from fucking killing him. Yeah. Now Hawkins this time is fucking pissed and out for blood. Mm. At which point, Laurie walks up, who's still there, saying, what the, What are you guys doing? We have to be out there pursuing. And Sartain walks up. You're Laurie Strode. I've read everything about you. Everything. Everything. I'm Michael's doctor. And where she literally says, oh, so you're, you're, the, the, you're the new Loomis. Loomis. Like... This is what I was talking about before, about you don't need a literal new Loomis. You no. need a character that represents Loomis. No, yeah, it's a little, it's a little on the nose, this, on, this line it's a little on the no- it's. I mean, it's a very meta-on-the-nose movie. Yeah. 
So at this point, Hawkins and Sartain break off mm. to go find Michael. Lori gets a couple of cops together, goes to Karen's house to get her and Ray, tells and, her what's going on. And I love how Karen has decided to not celebrate Halloween, skip right to Christmas. She's, She's wearing like, a Christmas sweater. Which even, like, Vicky made alluded, uh, that. alluded that earlier on in the movie, which I find really funny. It's a nice little detail there. But back at the dance, before this happens, back at the dance, uh, we see Cameron and Oscar, you know, sneaking alcohol. They had flasks. Yeah. Uh, Allison comes back from her phone call, you know, looking for Cameron and finds him flirting with a girl and she kisses him. Yeah. And he doesn't push her away. Nope. But he looks and he sees Allison that's, that she saw it. She's visibly hurt. He has to go after her. He goes after her. And, you know, she says how like, oh, you, you, you always get drunk. You always go nuts. You always ruin everything. And her phone rings again, at which point he, him drunk now gets pissed off that the phone's ringing. He takes the drummer. It's like, oh, what? You, he's taunting her with it. You want your phone? And he throws it into a fucking bowl of nacho cheese. Yeah. So now her – and she's just like, whatever, you know. Oscar mm-hmm. walks – storms off all upset. Oscar sees this and follows her out. Yeah. Karen is frantically trying to get in touch with her daughter. And she has no phone now. She so has she no can. phone now, so she can't. So, you know, the cops are in full pursuit. Allison is now walking home with uh, Oscar. Yeah. And Oscar's, you know, he's being he's being the 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 friend, the best the friend. friend. He's being the friend zone. Yeah, okay. Which I find I I hate that term because just because you're nice to a girl and you're attracted to her does not mean she owes you fucking anything. Which is something that I've had to I've had to learn, and I'm thankfully that I have learned that. Yes, and but like kids in high school is, and people to this day are like still experience what they think oh I'm just being friends they're like no she doesn't owe you she has her own agency whomever you're attracted to doesn't owe you shit see that's the thing though it's like I I, I don't actually look at I have I've had the same experiences as you where I've been friend zoned yes. I'm doing air quotes right now you can't yeah. see it but friend zoned so many times at this point, I'm to the fucking point where it's like I no longer look at the term friend zone as a derogatory thing. It's like, you know what? I have a friend. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, I have I've friends. had so ma- I've had so many friends come and go. It's like if I made a good friend out of this woman, you know what? That's a positive. At least, right. she, at least she's my friend. It could be where she could not be anything. Yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's such a. I take the responsibility that I was not able to make myself attractive in the way that this woman wants me to be. Right. Or the way that this woman is attracted to. It's almost kind of like it's used, like the term friend zone is like, like, it's derogatory. It's so horrible. Yeah. And so, which I'm just like, I I just, it's very annoying. I've I've come to terms with it and just, yeah, I I have a friend and you know what? I, I have several friends like, and like that I've pursued and nothing has come about it. And you know what? I still have them as friends. I still have friends. Yeah. And like, even one where we even questioned like, Oh, like, well, we, she's, she didn't feel the same way about me. And I'm like, you know what? Let's be responsible adults. We're still friends, and we can still work together, which is really good. Yes, we can still be friends. Let's just let this go, and as long as you guys keep that up, yeah, there's nothing to it. However, Oscar... Oscar doesn't. They they take a shortcut. Yeah, through a backyard, which we find out to be uh, Mr. Elrod's. Um, now, is this, at this point, have they arrived at Lori's house yet? Because I know that there was a cut there between the... It, it is no, it's, it's the cut of Sartain and Hawkins talking in the car. Yes, when Sartain's like, we need to catch him, and Hawkins like, fuck that, I'm putting him down. Well, he a- he asks, uh, Doctor, in your, in your professional opinion, would you say Laurie Strode is clinically out of her fucking mind? 
Or like has lost her fucking marbles. And he says, well, trauma, trauma affects people in different ways. I feel kind of bad with making fun of the dude's accent like that. It, it, it is that like – it is kind of like stereotypical – stereotypical. Stereotypical is a topic – we're on the topic of stereotypes. Right I'm a fan <laughs> of Sony, but I used to love Iowa. <laughs> Where he's talking about how trauma can affect the victim in different ways, but he alludes to how he's more interested in how trauma affects the victimizer. Yeah. So what do you mean? Like how it affects Michael? Is it all part of some pre-programmed thing in his mind? Or is there some kind of pleasure that he gets from it? Is I Lloyd wish Jones, I could know. If, if Lloyd Strode being alive, is that what's keeping him alive and moving yeah. now? And we're just seeing this like this, this guy is – we're starting to think, is this all just one big fucking science experiment to this guy? Which it is. Is, is there's something fucked up about this guy? He ain't playing with a full fuck. I wish I could know that pleasure that he feel like. You want to know what it's like to kill people? You, yeah. You, you doctor, you man of science. You, yeah. You intelligent person who looks after psychopaths. And then Hawkins is like, well, you're not going to get that because I'm going to put him down. He says he's, yeah. He 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 tells Sartain flat out, I'm going to fucking kill this guy if I see him. Which you point, make up for the mistake that he did 40 years ago. Make up the mistake by... by but he's like, Stopping I'm, Loomis. I'm the hell with justice this time. I'm going to stop him. So we get back to Allison and Oscar going over, you know, climbing over a fence. And when they fall down, there's that, you know, fall into each other, catch catch each other kind of thing. Yeah. Oscar goes in to kiss her and she's like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Like, I thought you were giving me single, signals. No, I wasn't giving you any signals. She just walks away all disgusted. Like, oh, you're not going to tell Cameron about this? Like, right. And when she goes, she goes, you know, storms off. He's trying to follow her behind. She stops, turns around, and he, like, falls down because he's so fucking combination of drunk and just like timid by her intimidated by her and when this happens the back door motion, lights yeah. motion sensor lights of this backyard go off like, oh what was that and then she's walking away motion sensor dumbass and she hops the fence the iron uh the fence on the way out yeah so he looks behind him as he cracks open another beer yeah and sees uh michael standing back there now this michael's very much in the shadows at this point mm-hmm. he is hard to make out but you see he's there he thinks it's the resident of that yard he just went in, Mr. Elrond. Another like, oh. uh, a reference to a Halloween Another Halloween 2 reference. Like, oh, leave. It's, it's like, you ever have trouble with a pretty girl? And, you know, like, oh, I'll see you later. So the motion sensor lights go off. But then when they come back on, Michael's now standing in front of that, the house, like the mm-hmm. back, door, back of the house. Like, he's looking around. Oscar's looking around. He sees him. He's like, what's going on? You're acting kind of weird. The sensor lights go off again. And I, I even... In the second viewing, I heard, like, someone behind me in the audience, I could hear them, like, creaking in their chair, like, because oh, it's so suspenseful. Yeah. And when it comes back on, he fucking, you know, stabs Oscar. Oscar's yeah. now fucking screaming like a little girl, bleeding. And he runs for the fence that Allison already climbed over, and when he's trying to climb over, his his cape for his vampire, his costume gets stuck. Michael stabs him a few times in the back. And we get a good look at... James Jude Courtney and how he, he's got that fucking walk pat down pat. Yeah. Even how he like kind of twirled the fucking knife from like stabbing like, downward to stabbing outward. Yeah. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. Outward to downward. But the way he did it with a rhythm just, and emotion. Just like a little like, flip to like, it. He, he learned from Nick very well. Yeah. And then Allison goes back after hearing this and sees what happened to Oscar who's now his – the. As he slumped down, his fucking jaw went his, – his mouth went through one of the fucking uh, iron, bar, iron, iron spike bars that's protruding at the top. And what, Which I think there's a little bit more gore shown here than it was in the test screen. There's more shots of, like, his blood, like, tripping over his shoes. I don't remember that. I don't remember. Screen. But then Michael emerges out from the backside of the, uh, the gated wall. Yeah. And Allison runs away. And now we get what I have waited for from a new fucking Halloween. If I were to do a remake and I were to make a new score – 
I would include new stuff that f- blends in so perfectly. It's my favorite stuff. piece of music from the movie itself. We are introduced to literally like a new composition, like something completely fresh and brand new, like a new like melody type. Yeah. It's like a do 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 And in the behind the scenes of them composing this, it's that broom is the classic Jimmy Page violin bow on an electric guitar. Yeah. And it, the music blended so well. Like, yeah, the shape hunts Allison, that's where you find it under. That's the t- track name. If I were making a Halloween remake, and I, like I said, if I had to do the score, I would want to not just recreate the old stuff, you know, beat for beat. I would want to make new stuff that fits within it so well. One of my issues with a lot of the newer movies is the fact that a lot of the newer music you hear composed really doesn't fit with the old stuff. No, and it's too reliant on the original. Yeah, either it goes to the back to the original just to remind you that it's a fucking Halloween film. Mm-hmm. Like Tyler Bates' uh, score for Rob Zombie's Halloween. Mm-hmm. His original stuff for that, really, it, it has nothing to fucking do with, with anything from John Carpenter's original score. Yeah. But they still play the Halloween theme and a lot of music from it just to remind you that it's a fucking Halloween movie. Right. And Allison gets to a door and she bangs on screaming, yep. screaming, and very much like how in the end of the original Halloween. But the na- people the, let her in. Yeah. Now this is I find this is kind of fucking weird. It's like we've had a couple of instances where the immediate threat has kind of gone away on its own. Yeah. With uh, the house that Vicky was murdered in, and you know the the police scene afterwards, and now this, where like people do respond and let her in, and then. In a little bit, we do see, like, Allison's okay. There's old people surrounding her, like, a crime scene. It's like, Michael's kind of letting people get away in this one. Like, is right. this a sign that, like, he's old and he's slipping in his old age? Or? Well, I just feel like it's because there's so many people. At least the town seems a little more populated this time around compared to when he first did it. The neighborhood has more houses, more families. So he can't just strike out and hope nobody will notice or anything like that. And the yeah. fact that people, the cops are patrolling now. He knows the cops are on to him. Now, do you think that that's kind of why in the original he waited until Lori got back to the Doyle house to see if anyone would help her before he started his walk? Because there's always that whole thing when he, why breaks, so long to... when he breaks through the fucking door into the kitchen yeah. and he's walking towards her and she breaks the glass window and gets out. But there's yeah. still like this minute and a half before he actually leaves the Doyle house. Like the, and I always joke, does he stop and make a fucking sandwich while he's in there? Right. Also, you could argue here, he's 60 years old, him trying to get over that fence. Yeah. But Which anyway, would be a funny like outtake of him just like trying to climb over and just uh, and just bust his ass. So, like, fu- he accidentally presses his life alert. <laughs> but anyway, we cut back to Lori's compound where everyone's been dropped off. Karen is arguing with the fucking cops about her daughter being out there. And yeah, like, we evacuated the dance and everything. She wasn't there. She we're, wasn't still, there. We're, we're out looking for her. So finally, Lori just yeah, Karen. Yeah, steps her back to her senses, brings her in, her and Ray inside, where they lock the fucking place up tight. Karen walks into the kitchen where she sees the remote to the kitchen island. Label the garage. Label the garage. Presses it. The thing starts moving. Ray walks in like, what the hell is this? My my childhood. This is my childhood. They walk into the basement where Lori's got, you know, all her fucking pickled canned vegetables and foods and jugs and bottles of water and all her guns. She opens up, like, the, the shutters that has all her guns, starts handing shit out, and there's a rifle in there. That has the initials KS with a little lightning bolt engraved into it. Mm. That was the gun Karen grew up on. Yeah. Lori starts handing out stuff, you know, hands out to Ray. It's revolver. It's good. Never, it won't jam. Never. Hands uh, uh, Karen a fucking rifle. Says this one's for stopping power. Actually, this one's tactical. Yeah. A, a pistol grip, pump action, shotgun. He's waited 40 years for this night. He's waited for me. 
you know, but this time I'm ready for him and, and Karen and Ray just looking at her like, like almost like they don't want to admit that our, like she was right. She was right, but, and she's cut like she cocks the gun. Yep. And cut back to um, Allison, who's now being looked after by neighbors that are surrounded. You know, police cars are there. Mm. Sartain and um, Hawkins. Hawkins pull up. You know, they, they agree to take her back to her mother's place. So they get in the van and they're driving away. Sartain has this, like, fucking fixation of, like, Allison, keep her eye out for him. You mm. know, like, he's looking for him when Hawkins really, I think, just wants to get her back. Yeah. But they see Michael walking down the street. Michael yeah. almost gives us a position away a little like too easily for mm-hmm. someone who's been so predicated on stalking in the shadows and disappearing like that well, no because i think somebody dispatcher hears it and like they say they saw him around this area and hawkins is close by and he goes after them okay and that's why because hawkins then sees him and is approaching him and then immediately hits him with a truck Sartain said no he must not be harmed Sartain's trying to stop him from doing this. He hits, he fucking runs. That could be your Halloween four nod when Rachel fucking run, hits Michael Myers with the truck. And the fact that it is done at a lower budget, like there is one shot of like the truck. It's like the camera's behind Michael as the truck's approaching him. It is sped up a little bit. I, I like Mad Max like two a little oh, yeah. bit, but I'm like, all right, it's low the, budget. They can't do a huge car stunt. Or the anything. fucking feral kid catching his boomerang by playing the footage in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> and also, um, Ben Tramer being hit by a cop car. Yeah, true. Yes, and, ben Tramer is still alive, thank God. Yes, so the stop is happy. Yes. Uh, but Sartain runs out. He walk, runs over to Michael. Hawkins is ready to shoot him in the head. Like, like get out of the fucking way. He feels Michael's pulse. like, you've killed him. What have you done? Yeah. Like, get, Doc, I'm not going to ask you anything. But Sartain, he reaches into his pocket. He's got his arm in a sling from where he was shot, mm-hmm. and a cop put a jacket over him. So Hawkins' view is obstructed, and he pulls out a pen that we saw him earlier. When, in With the a very seahorse first, on it. Yeah, in the very first uh, scene in the opening when mm-hmm. he's, like, signing papers, there's, like, a montage of uh, Dana and Aaron at the facility. Mm-hmm. That pen was concealing a fucking knife. Yeah. He turns around, he stabs Hawkins in the neck. Killing him. Killing him. Stabs him a couple more times. Goes down to Michael, like, examining him like, like a fucking father whose son was just killed. Like, and Alice is freaking out in the back right now, seeing all this. He pulls Michael's mask off. And Allison's looking around. She doesn't see anything. And she sees a figure rise wearing the shape mask. Sartain put the fucking mask on. Okay. This is the Sartain subplot we've been talking about. This, I was not a fan of when I first saw it at all. And when uh, it premiered at Toronto International Film Festival and the first critic reviews are coming out, it was universally agreed upon that this was the weakest point of the movie. Mm-hmm. This is really where the second act transitions into the third. And the worst part is, is that I love the third act so much that we were about to describe that I almost have to accept it. Like, this plot point that swings from act two to act three is a little rough. I'm having, like, when I watched it again this morning, I'm having, like, fucking Stockholm Syndrome watching this. I, 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 I don't want to like this. I, I know it's stupid, but I'm, I'm, I'm coming to an understanding and an acceptance of it. I, my problem is I get... Him being like a polar opposite to Loomis. He wants to find out what makes Michael take and what's keeping him running all these years later. That I'm fine with. I think the act of putting on the mask and showing him did like that is a bit goofy because the theater did laugh at that. But I understand the idea behind it is to see, like, is the mask somehow connected to this idea of what's keeping him a going? Like this identity that he puts on. You yeah. Know? But it's like him popping up. It's like. He does. Well, he didn't go blah, literally, but he just popped up, and you can see the it's effect fucking, is supposed to be like that because a, there was a jump skit. There's a sting for the music cue for that moment. You can see it's a fucking fat elderly Turkish man wearing a fucking Michael Myers mask, and and with one arm he drags Michael by the foot to the back of the cop car. Yeah, opens the door, shoves him in here, 
and make, he goes, room, for make room for my patient, which is actually how I answered the door today at your house coming yeah. over to record this. I you brought my Michael Myers mask. It scared the shit out of me when I opened the door <laughs> seeing you with that on. And I opened the door and I said, make room for my patient. <laughs> you like, but also, you ran up my stairs like like uh, Igor, uh, Igor from Young Frankenstein. I was just doing my best impression of an elderly man with one arm. Like, walk this way. Walk this way. This way. So he shoves him in there, takes the mask off, throws it in there. And starts, you know, talking to Allison about, these people want to harm him. He must be studied. We have to understand it. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens. And and, and uh, Allison says, oh, for, you know, for what? The reunion. Yeah. He uh, wants to reunite Michael with Laurie Strode because he believes that that is going to break Michael's silence and break him of this. Not And I feel that Sartain feels this way because he did not live through the original. Yes. He did not, you know, cause, and he even says, Lubis was the only one to see him in the I, I feel like a... Jack, doing a Jacques Cousteau impression right a now. A little bit. We have the elusive Michael Byers swimming and, through the ocean. No, that's Jason Voorhees underwater. And so he drives to Lori's house. On the way, we have um, – Allison tries to figure out a way to get him to stop. Well, we're, a, first, we're first introduced in the two police officers mm-hmm. sitting outside. Lori's I was going to get to him in a second. But oh, okay. Like, but, like, so <laughs> Allison says, like, he did speak to me. And, like, Sartine's like, what? And – Sartine's name, even like the old French uh, um, meaning of it, is to be determined or sure. He's sitting in this truck, like trying to, like talking to Alice and trying to explain everything. And just that's where I came up with the idea, like this is all just one big science experiment to this fucking guy. He has no sense of morality left in him. No, this is all just about his research. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like, okay, I understand that, but it's like, at what point does this educated fucking man? realize, oh, fuck, I just stabbed a cop in the neck. Yeah. I'm going to be sharing a cell with my fucking patient if I get away with this. Yeah, I would say, like, he would try and blame it on Michael. Blame on Michael, but, but if, say his fucking breakthrough he has where Michael speaks comes true, Michael just say, no, I killed everybody but that guy. That was that motherfucker right there. Uh, that, I would say, like... I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, but I feel like... Uh, I don't know how many people would really take Michael seriously at But that at point. which point, Allison was the witness, so he'd have but to Allison kill Allison. Allison would have to die, yeah. yeah. so it's like... But what, what, what is he... He's going to strike a deal with Michael? Like, say, okay, Nazif, we have you talking. I will get the book rights, and you spend the rest of your life in prison, but rich. Very much like Frankenstein. Like, like we have Igor and the, the monster in Son of Frankenstein, where they had that relationship with each other. But um, Allison... I, I feel the character is smart enough to realize that this is a fucking dead-end path. Right. That if you do things this way, even for the sake of fucking science... Like, maybe... Maybe he feel maybe there should have been something where he says it's like I know I may I may not see the end of this but if if my research is what it is I will I will go down in history as the man who solved Michael Myers right as the man who cured him and broke through you know right, right. something where he realizes that what he just did has some form is going to have major fucking consequences mm-hmm. but we don't get that yeah and he's like I want to hear him speak you know like I think. And Allison then says, oh, he spoke to me, and Sartain proceeds to fall for the oldest trick in the book. Yeah, he's just like, if you just let me go, he, let me go, I'll tell you what he says. He stops the truck, goes to turn to her, like, what do he say? He screeches, you know. Yeah, and causing the cops at the end of the road, they're outside um, Lori's house to wonder, like, well, is Hawkins doing something weird, weird down there? These two cops were introduced, this is why I was talking about tone being all over the place, because we're introduced to a comedic segment with these two cops that are keeping watch. Uh, one of them is actually Christopher Allen Nelson, the uh, makeup effects designer who mm-hmm. did the mask. They're talking about sandwiches they like and what they eat for lunch. And they see the Hawkins, you know, truck. They're trying to get him on the radio. So, but back in the, you know, to investigate, like, why is he parked there? Why is he fucking just parked forked halfway in the middle of the road? Mm-hmm. Hawkins says, what does he say? What's he? 
Did he say the name of the sister? Judith. Well, it's funny. Before he said Judith, this goes to show you how fucking conditioned and ingrained we are with the sibling storyline. My mind originally when said Lori. Lori. But then when he said Judith, I think that that was intentional. I think that that was intentional to make the audience think Lori, but remind you that Lori's not the sister. Yeah. Judith. And then Allison, as she's saying, what did he say? Allison looks down. She sees the mask missing. She looks up at Michael. Michael's regained consciousness and put it back on. What did he say? She responds, oh, fuck. Yeah. And I he, almost expected him, because this is practically a comedy now, is a, he said, oh, fuck. Yeah, and then, because <laughs> then Michael... Um, Michael does his best impression of a five-year-old and kicks through with both mule kicks with both feet through the fucking uh, dividing fence yeah. between the front and back seat. Which clocks uh, Sant- uh, Sartine in the face, and he... In the his... back of the head, he kicks him a couple times, yeah. and he falls out of the truck. And Michael... Um... Walks over to him, stands over him. Allison, at which point, escapes and runs for her life through the fucking woods. Yeah. The woods right outside, you know, her for, grandmother's for place. For 25 minutes. Michael doesn't take pursuit. That's the... It's the weird part. It's like he's letting people get away. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, but at least, like, he's got one victim right here. He's yeah. not, not going to split his attention here. Sartain's looking up at him and says, Michael, say something. See? And I will say, between this and Aaron's scene in the beginning, they did a good job of sort of building up this idea. Is he going to respond to them? Mm-hmm. Like, because, like, here's the the original mask. Is he going to respond to it? Here's his doctor that we we are given the impression he let loose. There is a uh, uh, shadow of of uh, doubt in your mind that this whole thing was orchestrated by Sartain, that he caused the bus accident. Yeah, I still think Freed Michael. Yeah. And Michael spared him, mm-hmm. oddly, as a thanks almost. I don't know. Right. I don't see him doing that. Yeah. So that's where the – that's where it's it's up to you to figure this out. He's saying, say something, say something. And Michael stomps on his head. Crushing his head. And skull. at that point, Sartain's head turns into a strawberry rhubarb pie, <laughs> which now splatters all over the fucking sidewalk. Right. And uh, I heard that in some critic screenings, people started clapping during that point. <laughs> That's hilarious. I feel bad for the actor because he really was trying to be like the evil med scientist. Yeah. Who's trying to understand this monster. He was just uh, underserved by a terrible writing. I, I, I'd say subpar writing. I'd say writing that needed a lot more refinement. Yeah. Not subpar. They, there was an idea there, but it just flawed execution. And so the two cops. But uh, we needed it to get to this point because of the third act. Now, one last thought on Doctor Sartain before we close the book on him. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that his whole thing was a Doctor Wynn nod? I the could doc- see it. The Doctor at Smith's Grove looking after Michael all these years. I could see that. Okay. I, and some people who like to forget that Halloween six ever happened, um, but I, I'm uh, fine with it yeah. happening. So the two cops come closer to investigate. They go over their speaker. Uh, Deputy Hawkins, are you all right? They get out to investigate. They go. They each go on opposite sides of the truck. They find Sartain's was left to Sartain. Michael appears by their car, you know, and cut away to what is it? More of Allison running through the woods. Yeah, and for twenty five minutes. For twenty five minutes. <laughs> but then we get back in the Lori's house and up in Karen's old bedroom. Mm. She's there with her dollhouse that looks somewhat <clears throat> like the Myers house. Yeah. Excuse me. And uh, her and Lori have like a moment, kind of, you know, it's like they're going to say, I'm sorry. They said a little things of I'm sorry to you, each other. Yeah. But like, not like the full blown, I'm sorry, mm. you know. And because in this, we have we have the little dollhouse I mentioned before. We have the hat on the wall. It looks very much like how the hat on the wall in Lori's old bedroom. Yep. As well as the James Enzer painting is on the floor in a frame. Yeah. But at this point, we hear, um, while they're speaking, Ray, um, 
sees the cop car pull up. He hears the siren, and he sees through Lori's uh, security monitors that the cop car pulled up now in front of the house. They were supposed to be waiting outside. Ray thinks that there might be some information on Allison, so he goes outside to investigate. Some of the wind chimes that are now missing from the wind chime that we saw yep, earlier. Yeah, she has these, like, rusty, like, bell wind chimes on, a th- on, like, a chain. Yeah. He goes, looks in, and he sees, like, this weird, like, purple jack-o'-lantern inside. Mm. Opens the car door, and the light on the car turn- turns on, and it's the one of the cops is dead. He has Sartain's penknife lodged in his fucking skull. Yeah. And Christopher Allen Nelson cop has had his head fucking decapitated. The eyes, nose, and mouth carved open like a jack-o'-lantern, and a fucking road flare stuck inside his fucking skull, illuminating it. That's some pretty fucked up yeah. shit. That, like, like, Michael was the lethal trick-or-treating prankster the first one. He is taking that caged animal thing to a new extent with his lethal tricks and treats. Yeah. At the same time, Ray backs up, horrified. That's when Michael comes and garrots him with the wind chime. Garrots him with the wind chimes. Lori hears this, looks outside the window. You know, sees this disturbance, comes running downstairs with her shotgun, at which point we have the classic dun, dun, dun. I love the new version of this. Yeah. Oh, my God. When I first heard IGN last week put up a a 30-second clip of this scene, I heard it, and I was fucking fell in love immediately. Mm. It it was love at first hearing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or whatever it is. Lori comes downstairs. Ray! Sees the front door open slightly, looks through the window. And sees Michael looking back at her. Shuts the door. Starts locking it. Puts the bar over it. Karen! Karen comes down. Where's Where's Ray? Like, Ray's death, honest to God, is more important than you really think. Because now, the fucking boogeyman who has inflicted so much trauma upon Lori and destroyed her life, which has in turn harmed Allison and Karen's life, that they, that they you know, have disregarded. This boogeyman has taken Karen's husband... And Allison's father, this boogeyman has now destroyed their lives directly. Yeah. Not just through their mother, mother by proxy anymore. Mm. Ray's death, I feel, is a very important one for that reason. Because right. now Karen and Allison have lost something because of this monster. Lost something so important to them because of this monster. Yeah. So Lori tells Karen, you know, go in the ba- hide in the basement. Karen's, like, freaking out because she, even though she's had all this training, she still spent all of, m- the majority of her life now putting it behind her putting it behind her told this was all wrong right so she's you know a civilian woman she goes hides in the basement and she says baby go and like and go like, baby go like crying almost and like that moment it's right intense there with that, the, with that the moment right there is like like it's like oh mother and daughter reconciliation <sighs> right there it's fucking intense with the music and so Karen hides in the basement Lori presses up against the door which is kind of stupid well looks outside the window sees Michael's gone but she's like at this point <sighs> It's heavy breathing, like, oh, my God, this finally has happened. Yeah. Like, it's everything I prepared for, but she's still terrified. And Michael pops, has both arms parked through the glass of the door, grabs... um, Breaks through one, grabs her by the face, breaks through the other, grabs her by the head. And props to Jamie Lee Curtis for taking a fucking ass whooping in this. Because Michael literally lifts her off her feet, and he's choking her from from behind. He he first starts slamming her head face first into the front door until she's able to get herself turned around, where he lifts her up. And he's choking her and has his hand over her fucking mouth. And she tries to grab her shotgun to shoot him with, and he lets goes with one hand to grab the barrel of it. She stops fighting him for a moment just to get that shotgun in place. Like, she's willing to take the risk of being choked out in order to shoot him in the head through this door. He sees it, grabs the barrel of the gun, and the way she's wiggling, he has it positioned over the top of the barrel. 
She pulls the trigger. Blows off. Boom! Blows off his two fingers, uh, pinky and ring finger off it. My great aunt, when I was a little kid, whenever I'd be fucking around with something that I could get hurt with in my hand, she'd say, if you keep doing that, we're going to call you Three Fingers Michael. <laughs> we can now call him Three Fingers Michael. That's hilarious. Michael Myers now has just had three of his fucking fingers blown off. And I do think I heard a groan. Like I don't a, know, mm, maybe. Well, you know, in the mix. Nick Castle and the original one had that. Uh, yeah. Or, didn't Nick Castle do the original ADR for Michael? Do we know? In the original? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Um, it's Speaking of that, just sidebar, it's weird that Tony Moran was never asked to come back to this. Yeah, that would have been cool for all the unmasked stuff when he's not, you know, attacked. Because Michael's face is not shown clearly. Yeah. They cut around it as much as possible. But I'm sure if you're watching this thing on – if they come out with, like, a fucking high frame rate version. Yeah. Or you sit here and watch this, you know, with the frame-by-frame – Forward, backward, but like we do sometimes on Blu-rays, mm-hmm. especially when we see RoboCop getting his hand blown off originally, yes. and it's like this weird, like curled, gnarled hand. Because blo- a split second, you could see the string fucking pull it off. Right. <sighs> if you do that, you could probably get a clear shot of James Dude Courtney's face. They definitely put a little bit of old age makeup on him because mm-hmm. he doesn't look that wrinkly and old in real no. life. But Laurie retreats. Gets down, you know, into the into the kitchen island basement. Hides with Karen. Grabs it like her Winchester rifle repeater. Yep. Um, the Allison, two the two of them have a just a, a, a you know. I'm, I'm so sorry for the. I shouldn't have raised you. The, it was wrong for me to raise you the way I did. Completing uh, her character arc, much like how Sartain's negative one, he falls further and further into madness. Lori has a positive one where she realizes she what she did was wrong. But she's going to make up to it now by saving her. Michael now reaches through with his good hand through the Brook window, pulls the fucking bar away, and gets in the house. He's walking around dripping blood all over the fucking place. And there's that one shot where he walks in, like, he stands, like, in the middle, like, the entrance of, like, the living room and the kitchen. And it's, like, a low-angle shot looking up to him. And goes with the fingers and tilts up to see him. He looks so much like Dick Warlock's Michael at that point, with yeah. the hair tripped back and everything. <laughs> but... He's looking around. They're in the in the the cellar now. The uh, kitchen, the fucking panic room. I'm going to call it essentially, yeah. the panic room. Hear him creaking around. This is where the the quiet comes into play. There's no music playing. Here's footsteps. Lori takes a shot. She hears nothing. He says, <sighs> walks away from from Karen. I have to finish this. Yeah, and she goes upstairs. She goes up to the main level. Says, I, I love you, mom. I, yeah. I love you, baby. Opens it up, goes in, and it, and what follows is fucking just nail-biting tension right. of Lori. She sees the blood trickling on the blood drops on the floor, this trail leading to her, her uh, banister for her uh, upstairs steps. Yeah. She keeps going through there. She investigates a closet that has his blood on it. Nothing. Nothing. I liken this when I first saw this. When I'm watching, sometimes we get like sort of sort of a first person shot of Lori. Yeah, like her from her point of view. We get her around. POV, but we also get like an over the shoulder that's so close in. It, it felt like like the same tension I had playing Resident Evil Seven. Yeah, with that rural, broken down, old, you know, wooden wooden paneling everywhere. Right house, which will come into play later. The the very wooden. Uh, design of this house. Right. And so she goes upstairs, she goes upstairs and she's going from, she goes to a few rooms and while she's room. doing that, yeah, she's going, it, room se- room. it seems as though she intentionally omitted closets from some rooms because she just looks in, investigates, comes back out and hits a switch on the wall. And all of a sudden these l- big metal shutters come fucking, uh, crashing down, preventing him from being able to go into that room. Now she's isolating yeah. each room in the house one by one until she gets to the master bedroom. Right now. As we talked about earlier, 
there's an interesting fact about this master bedroom. Right, because this bedroom was initially meant for the recreated scene that was supposed to take place in 1978. It's the recreated been, ending yeah, in the, the Doyle re- House bedroom. The Doyle House bedroom. And so they had built that set before they decided against it. And so rather than tear it down and ever use it, they said, all right, let's use this for the climax. Let's repurpose it as Lori's bedroom. And I read an article somewhere saying that this could be implied – that Lori designed this bedroom herself as sort of just like because she's of her, living that memory over and she's over. Living that memory. Now she's got all her fucking mannequins in there. A whole Which bunch is of them. fucking creepy. Why would you want that standing over you while you're asleep? Yeah. Just to be always prepared that someone's in the fucking room. Right. And so, and while this is going, she goes to that closet and she opens up and it's just raised bodies. Raised bodies stuffed there, akin to Linda being stuffed in the closet in the first one. Right. And she che- she checks all corners of it. Nothing. Opens the other side of the doors. Nothing. And she turns back around, and she's looking at the mannequins. And all of a sudden, boom, Michael pops out from behind one. The two of them have this big fucking fight. He gets the shotgun away from her. She pulls out a knife. This is a fucking, you know, fight to the finish. Lori is not the cowering little thing anymore that fights back when she's cornered. She is fucking fighting, willing to take beatdowns. Michael fucking will, like, grab her. She, like, bit his fucking severed fingers, and he recoils in pain. She fucking jamming her thumbs in his eyes when she has to. And she tries to stab him, but he grabs the knife, and he stabs her with it. Stabs her with it. I think, like, across the arm, because at the end, her hands are bleeding. Yeah. And pulls her outside and throws her off the fucking balcony. She yeah. has the bal- same balcony the Doylehouse did. Uh, goes ass over tea kill onto the, the onto backyard. Onto the below. Yeah. At this point, Allison, who has finished her, her 25-minute pursuit through the woods. It, it did seem like it ran off for a it little bit. It felt like they kind of forgot about her for a while. Yes. She had, came, she had before come across, like, Lori's rifle range with all the mannequins and looking at all these mannequins in the dark, all staring at her. It is half, freaky. Half broken apart. And it was all, like, these like snap zooms into yeah. them as it's, it's building after, into her screaming. After everything she's just seen with Michael, and she just loses her fucking mind. After Michael's thrown her off the balcony, I guess into the backyard. Yeah. She enters through the front door of the house because remember they they Sartain pulled up outside Lori's house. So right. Allison went through the woods. She's close by. It's not like oh I just happen to be here now. That was set up that she's there. Yeah. She goes, "Mom, Grandma." Michael's distracted. He looks back into the room. You know, and Karen opens up opens up the panic room entrance door, and gets her down there. Gets her down there. Michael looks back over the balcony, and just like the ending of the original, Lori's gone. Now in his head screaming. The whole audience popped for this. The audience was popping for this whole third act. And it's like, it's like, oh. This third act was beloved. Like, like he just got Michael Myers. Like, so that's what it feels like. We almost have a fucking role reversal where the hunter is now the hunted. Yeah. He comes downstairs. The two of them are trying to stay quiet, but he notices there's something odd about this fucking kitchen. Yeah, like, where could they have gone? Where could they have gone? Where were they before and where could they have gone now? He takes a look at the island, kitchen island there. Nudges it. Nudges it and notices it moves more than a fucking kitchen island that would be, like, cemented into the ground wood. Yeah. He grabs a fucking fire poker off the fireplace and starts, like, breaking at it, trying yeah. to rip it apart. Karen grabs her old rifle. Yeah. You know, prepared to, to fire. Allison, you know, she keeps trying to keep it back. She's, we see the gun shaking. Karen's trying to hold it together. Michael breaks apart the fucking island. But he steps away. He doesn't step in front first. And then Karen starts to cry. She's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. She starts having that, oh, I can't do it. Like yelling yelling for her mom to come and save her. I can't do it. I'm so sorry. I can't do it. Once Michael hears that, he steps in knowing that she's... Knowing that she's weak and not going to do it. Steps in front of those steps. And as soon as he walks to the side, (laughs) gotcha. Boom. Boom. She fires. Karen, this this was almost like... she shoot in the face? Like in the neck. Okay. (sighs) Laurie from behind... Just fucking stabs him in the, the back. Yeah. And he goes flying. And Lori 
Laurie kind of fades in the same way the uh, dimmer light yeah. shot is. His happy Halloween, Michael. Stabs him a few times, fights with him a bit, but manages to fucking knock knock his ass down the basement stairs. What, yeah. you should, like, stab him in the shoulder or something or hit him yeah. with something? and then he goes tumbling down the staircase. Down the, down the, and, and it's, and Karen and Allison go running up. Allison first, Karen behind. Michael yeah. then sits up like he does. Yeah. They're fucking sitting up without your hands, grabs Karen by the leg. Lori's trying to pull, the, but they're telling Allison to run. Just, just run. Get out of here. Go. But Allison's not moving. But she's, then she sees the butcher knife on the floor. She sees the butcher knife Lori used. And and the, now that we've had one, je- Lori took took this stand. Karen by by remembering basically remembering all her training, she took her stand. Allison grabs the kitchen knife and she finally takes her stand. These three generations of strode women have now taken their stand against the fucking monster that has destroyed their lives. Karen stabs him in the arm repeatedly till he lets go. Oh, no. Allison stabs him in the arm yeah. repeatedly lets go. I'm so high. This is so cool, man. Yeah. I'm like so fucking hype right now. Karen kicks him in the face and he goes down. Karen pulls up this bar that's at the side of the entrance. Pulls like it up, a winch. Snaps into place. And these metal bars that come out, like, on opposite sides of the, the, the panic room opening. Crossing, like, yeah. Crisscrossing, trapping Michael in there. At this point, Karen reveals this, this room, it wasn't a cage. It was a trap. Yeah. This was everything that Karen was trained for. Fucking coming back to her, you know, decades later. She remembered it all, and she went with the plan fully. At which point, Lori starts turning a knob on her gas piping. And we start seeing throughout the house, the gas piping has been set in certain ways to spew out into the house with these little, like, hot surface ignition switches like you see on, like, a gas burner that start glowing red. Yeah. And it's happening all over the house. Lori grabs a, a flare. Road flare. Road flare from out of her closet. This was Lori's plan all along for 40 fucking years, to trap Michael in her house and burn it down with him inside. Mm. She lights the flare says goodbye, Michael, and drops it in. Michael, at this point, is just staring up at her. And the brilliance of how well Christopher Allen Nelson designed this mask so closely to the original shape mask is that the original shape mask had that blank expression that you could project anything over. You could project mm-hmm. any emotion. For a moment, when I saw this in the test screening, I saw, like, this expression of sorrow on Michael's face, like, you got me. I fucking lost. Yeah. It's over. And it's completely in my own fucking mind. My mind is making this up. And you just last night this. I saw rage on his face, like God damn it, you got well, the best of me. Well, as the fire is expanding behind him, we see a bright flash, and we see the look of his one good eye through the mask, like looking. And that's where I kind of got a little bit of that too, like like this like sorrowful rage, like this ad- this admission of I lost. Yeah. And we see just the three women looking back at him before they leave. They help Laurie out, who's now injured. Yeah. As the house just fucking burns down around them. They flag down a passing by truck driver, get in, drive away. The house burns down, but we don't see a shot of Michael burning. No. This is the thing that fucking upsets me, and I'm going to get to this at, at, at as right now as we're wrapping up. But in the back of this truck as they're driving away, there's all three of them just cuddling together. And it pans over to Allison and her hand, and she's still gripping the fucking butcher knife. And we tightly. hear her breathing. And we hear her breathing, and it freeze frames on that and cut to end credits. I fucking love that ending. If this, I like, fucking love that ending. If there was never a sequel, which there's going to be. Oh, because it hurts it, me. Because there's planned for two movies. They came up with the idea to shoot two movies back-to-back, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. But they decided, you know what, let's see how this one does, and we'll go with there. And we'll, and we'll be able to work, kink, we'll work the kinks out of what works and what doesn't for the next one. So, save that never happened. Save this last one. 
I'd be happy. I want it so badly to be. It's not and going it's, to because it's so successful. And the thing is, it's not out of a dislike of Halloween. It's it, it's not of a like, oh, let's just get this. You know, it's about having a satisfying conclusion where these traumatized women stood up to the like. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has likened this movie a lot to the Me Too movement that's going on right now. Right. And how these women finally stood up against their monster. How the, how the, this thing that haunted them and destroyed their lives and and destroyed Lori's life and prevented her from being a, functioning like a true family. Yeah. How they finally got their fucking revenge and how they planned it to a T and executed it even after 40 fucking years. <laughs> if you come up with some fucking explanation like he went out the basement window – and to say to, to he show that like, his way through his wall or something like that, he dug himself out. I think it's going to be something stupid, like oh, he went through the basement window or, or that cellar room window, or yeah. whatever. Because I, I, I swear I kind of recall that, but I'm not sure that there were little those like little windows you see in basements yeah. sometimes. Like I have them in my basement, you right? See them. If they do something like that, where it's just like oh yeah, Lori planned for this for forty fucking years, but she couldn't plan on fucking securing basement windows or, I, the, or does he actually bend the metal of the, the spikes that were keeping him away no because we see them still there as it's burning but he's uh, not there in the shot true there should have been something of him like reaching through the bars and like slowly descending as his body's on fire yeah because I'm looking at box office mojo right now it's projected to 70 to 80 million dollars domestic al- alone I heard that the the, the uh, third midnight showing grows 7.7 million dollars yeah. just that showing and, and the thing is originally I was hoping to wait another week to get more of my information together and you, you wanted to do it immediately that's cool let's get it out there but I'm so curious to see what it's opening weekend gross is right which we'll, we'll probably do a follow-up obviously for next month and everything and when it eventually comes out home video but yeah I wanted to get this done and such but, but this is so fun I'm so glad they didn't change that ending I don't know what the original one was that they changed but I am so happy they stuck with this one because it, whatever nitpicks complaints I had fucking were redeemed by how this movie ended. That, yeah. That, you know, it, it, it's a happy ending. It's a satisfying ending. But it's like we've seen – It's a Mi- triumphant ending. We've seen Michael Myers engulfed in flames before and he still came back. So yeah. it's like they could, they could do anything. They're going to do anything. I hope common sense prevails and they don't resurrect themselves because as we said before, it's the Akkad way where when you have one huge success you get fucking drunk off that and make something that doesn't ends up not working right that sucks you throw anything out there yeah I mean, we've seen it with Halloween 4 we've seen it with Halloween H2O yeah so but the next one just goes off the fucking rails yeah and fails and ruins the reputation of the series and it goes dormant for years right Halloween 5 there wasn't another one for 6 years Halloween Resurrection there wasn't another one for 5 years yeah you know and so I mean and oh, I, I feel like I need a cigarette right now <laughs> I mean, I think probably my favorite part of this movie is, is probably the third act, Lori going through the house, because oh the fact it's so quiet. That there is no music. It's the, just the, an There's background. whispers of music. Not yeah. like not like you hear like musical like stabs or but there's like like little whispers of music yeah. in there. That might have been where you could have had like half, like started it out, her pursuit, like half music, and then go to the quiet when we get closer to the actual striking, and had that scary, you know, pursuit that dude, 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 dude. Like a, a new take on that, but oh my fucking and and the 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 version of the Halloween theme that plays during this ending when Michael when the house is burning it right. is so. One word to describe this movie: satisfaction for me. Yes, absolute satisfaction. And at the very end of the credits, you actually hear Michael's Michael breathing, breathing, so you know he's still alive. Ugh, I know. Don't hurt me like this. Don't break my heart. You achy break your heart. Don't break my heart, Blumhouse. So final thoughts. Oh man, go fucking see Halloween. Go fucking see Halloween. Everything that we've, like, 
talked about, e- even like the the things we didn't like. I, I I mean, truthfully, you're never. I don't think you're ever truly gonna. If you want to make another Halloween, you're never gonna make one that is on par with the original. Mm-hmm. It was just too much of lightning, like catching lightning in a bottle. It was too much of the plant's line. But you can make stuff that lives up to it, is worthy of, of being considered a, a sequel to. This is definitely that. As much as I wish that they would have done things with the filming to keep it better in continuity, especially considering... Or have the subtitle for this movie not simply call it Halloween. Yes, considering all the things it did. I would have loved to have seen some of the original team come back and like produce the roles. Like... Everyone, the, the cinematographer on this, I saw an interview with him talk about how much he, he followed Dean Cundey's style and how influenced he was. How cool would it have been to have Dean Cundey, you know, come back and supervise? Yeah. Not to say, like, these new, like, I wouldn't want these new people here. It's like my mix of feelings of James Jude Courtney and Nick Castle. Like, I wish to see more of Nick. Okay, let's, let's do it this way. We're huge wrestling fans, both of us, right? Yeah. When we have older wrestlers come back and take the spotlight away from newer talent. You can look at it that way. I look at it in the context of this movie as, yeah, you can do that. But at the same time, would the people doing this really turn down the opportunity to work with their influences and really, like, turn down the opportunity to get the fucking thumbs up and say – from their influence and say, man, you guys are killing it? Because truthfully, all these people – Tom, like, would Christopher Allen Nelson turn down the ability to work with Tommy Lee Wallace on the Myers mask? No. And Tommy Lee Wallace and Dean Cundey, even even Erwin Yablons, have him come by and say hi on the set. Which he was at the premiere. Ideas. You know, truthfully, these, pe- these people have been known in interviews to just be humble and nice. They would probably say, there's pretty much nothing I had to, you know, say to these guys. They get it, you know? Mm-hmm. Same thing like John Carpenter said. Like, they, like, those are his words. They get it. They get it. Like, Nick Castle even said there was very little direction he gave to James and Courtney, just more with the head tilt. John Carpenter, like, he was given executive producer role, and they gave him the respect of not making any decision without his approval first, and he just, there was very few things he really had to say differently. He, yeah. He gave him advice about, you know, make it brutal. That yeah. was his one thing, make it brutal. And the advice about leaving out the, the recapped opening. Yeah, because that is a, and it's a, it's a Carpenter thing that things kind of left things ambiguous, because every Carpenter movie ends ambiguously to a certain extent. So it happens again here. And my feelings for it, yes, I mean, it is a satisfying sequel. Like, skewing continuity is kind of annoying, but I am a comic book fan, so I'm used to that. And so I'm kind of used to it, like, things being retconned, so I can accept it. I know it's... I I think I'm not a fan because of how overboard everything goes with it these days with retconning. Oh, I get that. But I'm a Doctor Who fan where continuity doesn't mean uh, jack shit. Yeah, but it's built on that, so... Yeah, I mean, it's a time time and dimensional show. That's almost... It's almost unique to it and what makes it you know it's not just something we're doing because okay we're not making enough money anymore i I know retcon it yeah i mean like i enjoy like the kelvin timeline for the star trek movies like that got me into star trek so it's a little bit that i am so i liked crisis on infrared earth because i agreed with you know after 50 years maybe you do kind of got to flush the toilet a little bit yeah but then again i do enjoy stories on multiple earths but not doing it every fucking 10 years or five years or whatever uh, I mean, Marvel's even worse. I mean, they keep rebooting things, like, constantly. Well, what's funny is they didn't for a long time, but now they're doing it too much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they keep relaunching, like, like Punisher, like, was, like, just in the War Machine suit not too long ago, and now he's just, like, now he looks like uh, Dolph Lundgren on the covers and everything, and, and so it's strange. Anyway, I enjoyed this. Um, do I think it's, like, the best sequel since the, like, is it the best sequel? I do not know. I, I think it's too early to tell. I, I, honest to God, I didn't know for months, but I, I think I'm going to say I think it's the best sequel. And it's really hard for me to say that because I, I debated this a lot. I, I definitely think it's a better anniversary movie than 4 or H2O. 
but better than two because of how much of a companion piece two has become to me. Mm. And like, listen to our Halloween two review where I talk about how I come to the point where I almost feel like I need to watch Halloween two after watching Halloween one. Yeah. Like w- when I watch Halloween one, when I pop in my fucking Blu-ray and I finish watching it, I look at the clock. Oh, I got time, plenty of free time left. I pop on two because I feel like I need to. Okay, now. Now, say in a few months when you have a home video release of this. What do you pop on? Yeah. Oh. There's a Sophie's Choice for you. Oh, you know what I fucking pop on? Fucking bullet into this side of my head. <laughs> um, it is like, it's very Over close. Over this tough decision. I mean, I enjoy Halloween too. Like, I had my problems with it, but I think it's on par with that. Does it succeed H2O's anniversary? I think there's more reverence to the Halloween franchise than H2O. And I'm more, I'm happy with the score with this one a lot more. Than H2O, definitely. And then I like, because Terminator 2 is my favorite movie of all time. I've said that. And I love Sarah Connor's characterization in that. So I might be biased that I like Jimmy Lee Curtis's role here more than it was in H2O. But, I mean, but this, it's par- it's polar opposites of how a person would react to it, which Steven Sartain uh, underlines when he's talking to Hawkins in the truck at one point. He talks about trauma. That's kind of a couple nods to yeah. how she is now versus how she was in H2O. Right, and so that's why I enjoy I, I can watch what's like people have jokingly referred to this continuity as choose your own adventure. And like, I just saw a tweet, like the, the Halloween co- continuity is worse than is more complicated than X-Men comic book continuity nowadays. And I'm like, that's pretty damn close. Could be worse. It could be Texas Chainsaw Massacre continuity <laughs> where you have no idea if fucking every sequel is a fucking reboot. Yeah. And so I really enjoy this. I will go see this again. In theaters. I totally will. And I give it a fucking 9 out of 10. If they're smart, they'll release home releases, digital, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever, around Christmas time. Yeah. Because if this movie's making this kind of money, you're going to want that as a fucking stocking stuffer for oh, people. Oh, for sure. And I'm really hoping so because when my godmother, Aunt Steffi, comes back, she wants to do a fucking full-on Halloween marathon because she has not seen all the sequels. I, I want and she to... says she's going to buy me the new one, so I'm pretty cool with that. And I hope... You're invited. Good. T- meeting Tim. You, the audience, I don't know you people enough to invite you over to my home sorry um i hope a tv spot when the home video release comes up we see karen in her uh, christmas uh sweater for it. <laughs> uh, that's why i hope to god it's like that and so i yeah. hope we have the the shot of vicky saying why don't you guys just bypass halloween and go straight to christmas bam um so yeah i really enjoy this i recommend it um highly to go see it and yeah i'm oh. so glad we were able to do this this is amazing yeah all right, I, I hope feel so good right now. <laughs> I hope everybody's enjoyed our review of Halloween 2018, which we'll just kind of how we're going to refer to it as from now on. Yeah, um, we're done with all the Halloween movies. Holy shit. Yeah, but we have two months left of the year. So well, what are we going to do? Next month, what we have planned, folks, Halloween has not only been confined to the cinema. We have many different extras and things in other media that there are to explore. I have been spending more money than I probably should to try and get my hands on many of these things. So next month, we are going to review, I am going to dub this one, Halloween Tricks and Treats. Halloween and other media. Yeah. Tricks and Treats. Halloween and other media. I like that. And so, yeah, you have that to look We're talking books, comics, video games. A lot of tie-in shit. All kinds of shit. All kinds of tie-in shit that you can get. All kinds of tie-in shit, both official and unofficial. Yeah. But I want to say, Mike, thank you again for being a part of this. Thanks for having me. I enjoy being ahead. Of course. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2 my Instagram at TRooney1012, my YouTube page of Food Lens Productions, where one of my short films uh, 
podcast problems was recently inducted to be selected to be part of the New York Short Film Festival going on in uh, Greenwich, uh, New York. Greenwich Village in New York City. Rubber doubles with the rich, are you? Oh, yeah. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me to Dunkin' Donuts and buy me a coffee. <laughs> and of course, you can and listen- a honey glazed, honey glazed donut. Love it. Actually, a full box if you want. Oh, jeez. I'll go Dunkin' Donuts. No. Oh. Um, you can also follow me on my other podcast, Please Rewind, on the RF Forum Retro Show, part of the Real Fans for Real Movies Podcast Network. You can find that show and all the other shows in the network at rf4rm.com. That's four as a number four. Uh, thank you for listening. I know it was a very long episode, but we want, we had we had a lot to talk about, so we just gushed for these. Did we surpass Halloween 2 in length? I think so. Ah, shit. Yep. Oh, whatever. It was worth it. Yep. So come back next time as we continue to talk about geek and pop culture.